For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill here on a Tuesday on 97.3 ESPN FM and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Sea Isle. Well, we got some news on Joel Embiid and we'll dive into what does that news mean as we go out throughout the show here. Latest on Joel Embiid coming up a little bit throughout the show. Also, we'll start doing a first look at the Super Bowl matchup between the Chiefs and the 49ers. Plus, we'll get the latest on the Eagles in their offseason, what is going on with their coaching hires. Full-loaded lineup here on 97.3 ESPN. John McMullen from Bird365 coming up in about 25 minutes from now. Former NFL defensive coordinator Paul Gunther will do a deep dive with him on the 49ers and Chiefs matchup coming up at 3 p.m. Keith Pompey, who covers the Sixers, the Philadelphia Inquirer in Philly.com. We'll get from him his perspective on the latest on Embiid, how Embiid is going to miss at least four weeks. The idea is that he underwent the surgery today. He will be reevaluated in four weeks. We'll ask Keith what his thoughts on how this impacts trade deadline. Football for Jeff Mosher is back for the second straight day, filling in for Adam Kaplan is like Mike Gill, Adam Kaplan is on his way to Las Vegas. So we will get some thoughts from Jeff Mosher coming up here on the show about the Eagles in the NFL offseason. Plus, our Sixers insider for 973 ESPN, Austin Krell, he spoke to an orthopedic surgeon about meniscus tears and meniscus surgeries. And we'll get Austin's perspective on what does all of this mean for the 76ers. Plus your text at 609-403-0973. Josh Hennig hanging out with you on a Tuesday afternoon. So let's start digging deeper into this whole situation with Joel Embiid and his meniscus. So the news drops this morning that Joel Embiid had successful surgery, okay? And as you know, Successful surgery can mean anything. It doesn't mean that things were better or worse than when they're... It just means that Joel Embiid didn't die or get an infection on the operating table. (laughs) So that's what it really means. Um, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm an expert on surgery because I'm not. I'm not an orthopedic surgeon. I did not say it at Holiday Inn Express last night. But here's what I do know. If the reporting by The Athletic is correct, okay, 
if it is correct, it sounds to me like Joel Embiid is going to, as Mike Gill mentioned yesterday on the Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN, it sounds like Joel is going to be out until probably at least the middle of March. And the reason I say that is because when you think about getting surgery done, even if it was the most simple, cleanest cleanup, you're asking a professional athlete to recover from something that cut them open. So just because of that, I tend to believe that from everything we have heard so far, that Joel is going to be out for at least a month or so. So what does that mean for the Sixers? Well, you all saw the game last night, or you heard the game here on 97.3 ESPN. It was ugly. As soon as Maxie got three fouls on him, it felt like that game was going to be lost. Now, the Sixers still found a way to make it look competitive halfway through the third quarter. But in the second half, the Mavs outscored them by 20 points. 20 points. Tobias Harris, Jaden Springer, all the guys did their best. But at the end of the day, what happened last night? The Sixers, as I told you on game night here on 97.3 ESPN last night and on Friday night, my concern with the Sixers is that they are woefully outgunned. They don't have the ammunition. They don't have the firepower to win 15 of the next 30 games. I said that. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm saying it because there was a theory out there that the Sixers could maintain. That the 76ers should be able to stay above water until Embiid gets back because they have a certain makeup of their roster. The reality is that no. Their roster is not good enough. No, their roster is not equipped at the level necessary in order to be the team that you need to be. Joel Embiid is going to be out for a minimum, minimum month. He's being evaluated in four weeks. Even if he's evaluated in four weeks, it doesn't mean he's coming back the very next day. Think about it. Four weeks from today is March 5th. What is the Sixers' schedule at that point in time? They will not have been far removed from the All-Star break. And as I documented last night on game night, I'll document again here 
their schedule does not get easy at any particular point in the next four weeks. By the time we get to March 5th, by the way, the Sixers' next game after March 5th is against the Grizzlies. But you just lost the game last night. Tomorrow you got the Warriors. Friday you got the Hawks. Yes, the Wizards are a winnable game on Saturday. But then Monday against the Cavs, Wednesday against the Heat, not easy games. All-star break. You come out of the break against the Knicks, the Cavs, and the Bucks, And then you got to go to Boston to play the Celtics? Am I supposed to believe that this 76ers team that I saw last night and on Saturday against the Nets is going to be able to stay above water until a B gets back? I love Tyrese Maxey as much as the next guy, but I certainly don't think so. Now, maybe some of you out there at 609-403-0973 on the text board or DMing in the 973 ESPN mobile app, powered by First Bank of Seattle. Josh Eddick filling in for Mike Gill as he flies out to Super Bowl Radio Row. Mike Gill and the Sports Bash will be back uh, live Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday on Radio Row at Mandalay Bay Event Center in Las Vegas. But if any of you disagree with me, let me know. Because I don't see a way that this Sixers team, let's see here, between now and the four weeks of Joel Embiid's evaluation, I'm looking at the schedule. I see two wins, three wins maybe, in the next few weeks. And again, even when Joel gets evaluated, it's no guarantee he's going to return the next day. He's got to ramp up. By the time Joel ramps up, is he going to be back in time for those two straight games against the Knicks on March 10th and 12th? I doubt it. After that, they get the Bucks. This schedule is daunting. And I didn't see a Sixers team last night that looked like a winning basketball team long-term without Joel Embiid. Again, I love Maxi. I'm a huge Maxi fan. But Tyrese Maxi, Tobias Harris, and the band of misfit toys are just not good enough to get you over the hump. When you reevaluate Embiid in four weeks, am I really supposed to believe that this team is still going to be a playoff team? Which is why what Brian Windhorst said yesterday on first take still rings true to me 24 hours later. What happens from this Embiid surgery could be one of the most important things in this trade deadline week. And that's because the Sixers are a team that have a lot of options. They have three tradable first round picks. They have over $100 million in expiring contracts. And they have a belief that they, with Joel Embiid healthy, that they can compete. They would be an underdog against Boston right now, but Milwaukee is fading. Here's the problem with that. They think they can compete is not the same as being able to compete. 
So now that we know that Joel Embiid is not out for the season, right? Now that we know that Joel, his season is not over, what is next for the Sixers? Well, if you want to be a postseason contender, what must you do now? you got to make a move. Daryl Morey has to have seen enough from this team in the last few days to realize that at 30 and 19, this team is not good enough. And with a schedule coming up where you are going to be playing multiple Eastern Conference playoff teams, potential playoff teams, the Cavs, the Heat, the Knicks, the Bucks, the Boston Celtics. This team is not equipped. Look, they can get hot one or two nights here or there and maybe outscore somebody. But without Joel Embiid, it is blatantly obvious that they will not stay above water. And frankly, in four weeks, if they don't make any moves, the Sixers could be at the bottom of the play-in tournament. That's where we stand here the day after the Sixers' embarrassing loss last night to the Dallas Mavericks. Over on the text board at 609-403-0973. Your DMs into 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank. So here what you guys have to say out there. Uh, Mike from the Villa says, why not trade for someone? Can't just throw the talent, can we? With that schedule, it's a 12-18 and 18 record at best. Yeah, they're already, you know, with a losing record without Embiid, Mike and Villas. I agree with you. You should trade for someone. The problem is, will they? And I feel like we're in the same predicament with the Sixers right now as we are with the Phillies. If you are a Phillies fan, you're sitting around asking, why is Dave Dombrowski making small moves like Diego Castillo yesterday? Where's the big additions? Where's the upgrades? Dave Dombrowski of the Phillies has a history. He has a track record of rebuilding teams and making them better and making big moves. And as of February 6th at 2.15 p.m., he hasn't done that. And the same thing with Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey has a history, a track record of not being a sit-on-your-hands, complacent general manager. So I have to believe, based on his history, he is going to do something. I agree with you, Mike, in the voice. You've got to do something. 12 and 18 record, I mean, that might be favorable. Dan EHC chimes on the text board and says, as much as the Eagles and Sixers organizations have lied recently to all of us about many things, I wouldn't be surprised if... Joe isn't injured at all, or he is very injured on the other hand. Well, that's a silly statement, Danny HT. He sounds like a conspiracy theorist. I'm sure you believe that the NFL has it scripted for the Chiefs to play the 49ers because they Taylor Swift as well. Joel's injured, okay? I'm sorry to let you know, Danny HT. Joel is injured. A grown man landed on his knee. 
his knee buckled. Even at worst, if he has a knee bruise, he's injured. No one's lying about anything. Frankly, I'm not fully sure what the Eagles lied about. Are the Eagles maybe not always telling the full truth and the whole truth, so help me God, I do. Sure, but they're not lying to anybody. I don't think the Sixers are lying about Embiid at all. I think that when he sat out of that Denver Nuggets game a couple Saturdays ago, there was a legitimate issue and concern. Then, when he went in and played the game on Tuesday, I think Joel genuinely believed that he was well enough to play. Now, should the Sixers organization have pulled him from that game that never played him in the first place? Absolutely. We wouldn't be in this predicament. But I can't I can't jump in my DeLorean time machine, go back in the past, and change anything. Look, Maury is going to make a move. I genuinely believe that. Now, what that move is, not 100% sure. A couple more texts to get here. 609 403 0973, your DMs into 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank. See how Josh Hennick hanging out with you. Filling for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash on 973 ESPN. Tom from the Villa says, even if Joel comes back in four to five weeks, there's no guarantee that Joel will play at the level he was before he got hurt. By the time he does get back in the game shape, it might be too late. Tom from the Villa. Tom, that's the exact reason why I'm saying you got to make a move. Just because Joel is coming back this year doesn't mean that your team as currently constructed is good enough to actually stay above water. And you're right. We have no idea what condition Joel is going to be when he gets back. He didn't look good in the game against the Warriors when he, according to Nick Nurse, told him, I feel good. I'm good to go. Well, obviously he wasn't. Obviously. Think about it. If the Sixers coaches and medical staff looked at Joel Embiid the same way me, all of you listening on 97.3 ESPN FM and on the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle, Everyone looked at Joel the same way as we did. People watching on television. He would have never played the second half of that game. And if Joel said in that game, the Sixers said in that game, he was good to go, then Tom and the Villas is right. There is no guarantee that Joel is going to be Joel when he returns. There is tons of medical literature and sports injury history that proves that guys who have knee injuries need time. And if you're rushing Joel back for the postseason, he might not get enough time. He was already playing tentative and unaggressive in the Warriors game. Now he's returning from a procedure on his knee. They cut his knee open. And depending on if you want to believe the athletic report or the whoosh report, the reality is Joel had surgery. 
He's going to need time to recover. And then he's going to need time to rebuild up his cardio. And by then you're hoping you're at the playoffs. All right, we got a ton more texts to get to. Keep them coming in. 609-403-0973. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Yell here on the Sports Fetch. Don't forget, coming up at 3.30 today, Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Coming up on the other side, we got to talk to John McMullen because I want to get an update from him. We didn't get to talk to John yesterday here on the Sports Bash. We want to get in touch with John about what is going on with the Eagles and they're filling out their coaching staff. It has been a slow and tedious process for many Eagle fans. And John McMullen will give us the answers we're looking for coming up next. And then also this hour, more of your texts. I see them all coming in. Keep them coming. 609-403-0973. And your DMs into 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Josh Eddie Philly for Mike Gill here on a Tuesday edition of the Sports Bash as Mike Gill travels out to Las Vegas, Nevada for Super Bowl Radio Row. I got you covered here for the afternoon. We'll get back to the Sixers conversation in just a bit. Texts are still coming in at 609-403-0973. Right now, John McMullen, Birds365, Eagles Insider, joins us as we didn't get a chance to talk to John yesterday, and I wanted to get in touch with him today because there's been some... It's been, John, a very slow, meticulous situation as the Eagles slowly but surely recalibrate this coaching staff. And I think a lot of Eagle fans, it's taking so much time that some of them are losing track of what's actually going on. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Josh? I'm doing pretty good. So let's kind of give an idea of what has been going on, who has actually been hired and not for this Eagles coaching staff. First, on the defensive side, explain who these guys are that Vic Fangio is hiring because I think a lot of people, like, they, you know, they, they see the coach hurt on uh, Twitter and they think this guy should, you know, be the next big Dom, right? Like, they don't actually know who he is. So, like... Explain to everyone out there. Well, they're who... all great, though. They're all great coaches, though. Okay, it's well, like successful surgeries in sports, no coaches. <laughs> not great. Well, like... all, they're all great, except when they get fired. Then they're right, great. right, exactly. All oh, these stink. They're bums. They're idiots, right? But yeah, exactly. so, like, explain, for example, like you know, uh, Christian Parker is coming, expected to come to the Eagles. Like, what does he bring to Philadelphia aside from being from New Jersey? Like, I don't care that he's from New Jersey personally. John, I know a lot of our fans out there do. But, like, when Fangio brings in a guy like Parker, what does that say to you? Well, he knows him. It's normally, you know, he hired him. I uh, gave him his first positional job uh, coming off a quality control stint in Green Bay. So he's very young. 
32 years old. He has a history. Um, got a couple defensive coordinator interviews, which is pretty impressive for a 32-year-old. So uh, regarded it as an up-and-coming coach that, that Vic has a history with. Um, and that's generally how it works. And guys hire who they're comfortable with. And, and um, you know, you, you always can't get. That's another thing that, you know, I think people don't understand at this time of year, uh, when you have turnover, especially a lot of coaches are in limbo. Same thing happened here in Philadelphia. You know, when you – and the Eagles didn't even fire their coach, but they, they made it known that they were going to bring in new coordinators and when new coordinators come in, they generally want to bring in their own position coaches. But you kind of hold on to the guys who are under contract at least until you get – the new coordinators in the building and see what they want to do. And if they want to go in a different direction, then you release those guys to look for other jobs. Same things happen in other cities. Perfect example would be, you know, Miami where Vic came from uh, and they're moving on from and they're moving on to Anthony Weaver's former Baltimore assistant. Everybody's in vogue with that Ravens defense now. Um, and they're making some changes. And, and Joe Barry, who Vic Fangio uh, interviewed to be the new linebackers coach, he's going to Miami. So, it, you know, it's it's going on all over the country. So um, I wouldn't be too upset if I'm Eagles fans. That's just the way it works. Is it maybe a blessing in disguise that you don't bring in a guy like Joe Barry? Like, I'm not saying Joe Barry would have been bad, but, like, do you want too many guys who are former coordinators on a staff like this? I mean, you, you already have a very veteran D coordinator in Fangio. It's not like he's got a shortage of, you know, he's probably forgotten more football than half the football fans actually know of football. Yeah, no, I, I don't think you're – sometimes you want a security blanket. A lot of people argue that's what the Eagles did last year and it blew up in their face with mm-hmm. Matt Patricia. Um, because they didn't have a coordinator with a lot of experience. So in this instance, it's, you know, you're not worried about having to replace Vic Fangio outside of something weird that has nothing to do with football. Um, But, you know, I call it the pendulum theory. Most people use it in politics. When you go one way, then the pendulum swings back the other way when everybody gets upset. The NFL does it with coaches. So Eagles had a lot of younger coaches and in, in high-profile positions, uh, and now they're swinging back to more experienced guys. Um, with Vic and Kellen Moore, even though he's a young man, he said this will be a six-year uh, calling plays in the NFL. So he's got pretty significant experience from that perspective. So you kind of swing back and forth and they've gone from, you know, a guy with no experience, Brian Johnson guy with one year experience to these guys who've been around for a while. And, um, that's sort of how it works. Doesn't necessarily mean, uh, one is better than the other. When the Eagles hired, Jonathan Gannon, he had no experience as a coordinator. It worked out. When they hired Shane Steichen, he had very little experience. It worked out. So both ways can work, but when it doesn't, you always shift back to the other direction. It's just human nature. John, you mentioned shifting back. Talk to us about 
now that Kellen Moore, you mentioned about the offensive defense. Well, Kellen Moore is an experienced play caller. I'm intrigued by them bringing in uh, Doug Nussmeyer. This is a guy who had a short stint as a quarterback in the NFL, and he was on the Cowboys staff with Kellen Moore. So what does the hiring of a guy like Nussmeyer say to you? Yeah, and that's, you know, kind of what I was talking about with, in, in Vic with version. In, in Doug's case, he's been with Kellen Moore, as you mentioned, dating back to Dallas, and he also was with him with the Chargers last year. He was his quarterback's coach. So, um, so we all kind of speculated, well, Doug's going to be the, the new quarterback coach, and it took a while because the Chargers were going through their own coaching upheaval, mm-hmm. and he was under contract and they had to wait and then when Jim Harbaugh got the job, he was like, no, I'm going to go a different direction. And then Doug was open to, to, to leaving and moving to Philadelphia. So that's sort of some of the hurdles you have to wait for uh, to get over. But yeah, those, those guys have been together for seven years. The last five as offensive coordinator, quarterbacks, coach. So they're very comfortable with each other. And that was one of the more easier predictions. Uh, as long as he was going to be able to get out of this Chargers contract, that Doug would be the quarterback coach. And that's, let's face it, that's arguably the most important positional hiring they're going to make because he's got to get, he's going to be the one working with Jalen Hurts on a day to day basis, most often, more than anybody else. And he's got to get him back going in the right direction. So Doug Nussmeyer is going to be a really, really important part of this season. Well, we should also note that when Nussmeyer was at Michigan State, uh, he spent some time around that guy named Kirk Cousins. So, yeah, well, he's been around tons. Of, I mean, he coached, man, he coached Michigan State, Michigan, Alabama, Florida, in college. You know, he's been around Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert, just recently. Uh, I mean, he's been around a lot of good quarterbacks, a lot of good quarterbacks. But to me, John, that's he encouraging. Was a good quarterback, as you mentioned, back in Idaho, yeah. he was. And Kellen Moore, by the way, I, I think his record in college was like fifty and four. Fifty he, and three at, at the time, at the the all time record for wins at the college level. Yeah, but to me, John, that's encouraging. You know, nothing against Brian Johnson, but. You know, for Nick Sirianni, I know that we can turn the fresh ideas into a T-shirt at this point with Nick's face on it. But at the end of the day, you're bringing in two guys in Moore and Nussmeyer with a ridiculous amount of professional experience. You know, this to me is the fulfillment. Like It wasn't just words by Nick at that press conference. They actually are bringing in people with fresh ideas, John. Yeah, well, I'm not. I, I'm not going to go overboard with that. I think it's just about change, you know, more than anything else. Not to say that they're not uh, good coaches, but I, you know, I, I think Brian's a good coach. So from my perspective, you know, we talk about college quarterbacks. Brian was a great college quarterback, and he had a ton of experience, mainly on the college level. But he had a ton of experience at some big time programs as well. Um, and and by the way. When I was noting, you know, Doug Nussmeyer and how important he's going to be this year because he's the one who's going to work the most with Jalen Hurts on a day-to-day basis. Well, that was Brian Johnson in 2022 when he was the runner-up for MVP. So, and in a lot of ways, I look at 
you know, and I've been pretty consistent. Look, if you're Jeffrey Lurie and you approve sort of staying in-house and the plan that they went with, and that was Brian Johnson replacing Shane Steichen, ultimately Sean decide. Now they wanted Vic Fangio, but it, the timing didn't work out. And by the right. way, Vic is the one who recommended Sean decide to the Eagles. So, you know, if you don't, if you go into that situation and you don't expect growing pains, that's your fault. That's your fault. And that's part of it. And the Eagles went through it. And that's the strange part. They went through it with Shane and Jonathan Gannon and it, and it blossomed in the second season. And they just did not show patience or anything of that nature because the expectations were raised. That was the difference. Coming into the Super Bowl season, not many people thought the Eagles were going to make the Super Bowl. They had come off a playoff berth, and people thought they would improve, but not many thought they were going to be a significant Super Bowl contender. Um, coming into this season, everybody did. They didn't reach that level. And to me, Jeffrey Lurie overreacted. I've been pretty consistent with that. But Brian Johnson is a damn good football coach, despite what the people in Philadelphia think. Talking with John McMullen, Bird 365, each morning on the Jacob Media YouTube channel, at JF McMullen on the Twitter X platform. John, if I could follow up what you said about, you know, Brian Johnson being a good coach. So, what happened then? Like, for you, was it just people had a down year? Was it that... You know, there was a disconnect between Johnson and the players. Like, for for you, you know, how do you how do you define someone that you're saying is a good coach and a guy who has a good resume, by the way? It's not like Brian Johnson came out of nowhere; he wasn't like some nobody. Um, but how do you have a good coach and things go as oddly as they did? Well, traditionally, we judge an NFL season by an NFL season. And I think a lot of people weren't judging it by an NFL season. They were judging by the way it ended. By no means am I trying to say it ended well. It was a disaster. I'm, I'm with you. But, you know, bottom line is they had, they had a top 10 offense. Number eight uh, uh, overall. They were at number two in third down offense, number one in fourth down offense. These are not bad numbers. These are numbers that lap what Kellen Moore did with the Chargers. So, again, when you – the expectations were so out of whack in Philadelphia that a top-ten offense that excels in situational football, for the most part, was deemed – a disaster by many. It's it's crazy. I mean, there's there's 24 teams that would like to be number eight in the NFL in offense, and there's only 32 teams. So it, it, it depends where your expectations are. And the Eagles' expectations, well, there should have been one or two. You know, I, I can't. The people that say that are just unrealistic. It's really hard to do um, on paper. Yeah, some guys had uh, uh, regressions. Remember, again, 2022 was a career year. Most most of the career years, so many players, most of them came on defense. But one of the most notable players who had a career year 
was Jalen Hurts. And he regressed. And when your quarterback regresses, well, it becomes more difficult to have the number one or number two or number, they were actually number three in offense, number two in defense. Um, it becomes more difficult. And I think that's what happened. I think the thing with what you said there, John, were two things. And I want to I ask you each one of them separately before I let you go. You mentioned about the impatience within the fans and the organization. Why do you think there is this, for lack of a term, like I understand the, the average fan being frustrated, right? You know, fans are going to get frustrated about a lot of things. But why would the organization be so frustrated and impatient if they have the same information? And I'm not saying you're wrong, John, but I'm, I'm trying to flesh it out of you so the audience understands what you're trying to say here. Why was the organization looking at an offense that you just quantified as a top 10 offense in numerous categories and they said it's not good enough? The same reason the fans did, uh, because they expected better. Um, and by they, I'm, I'm, I'm mainly talking about one guy, and that's Jeffrey Lurie. So I think a lot of people have this misunderstanding that this is a, a core decision by a, a group because typically the Eagles are very collaborative in their approach, and they want to be collaborative in their approach. But when it comes to high-level coaching decisions, it's one guy. And that's Jeffrey Lurie. Now, people can point to Howie, and, and Howie's his, his greatest advisor. But Nick Sirianni doesn't even report to Howie Roseman. He reports directly to Jeffrey Lurie. Um, so, it, you know, basically, it comes down to the whims of one man. And we've been through this in 2021 with Doug Peterson. Same thing happened. History repeating itself. Um now, they had a much worse season, Doug. Uh, they only won four games there. But if you look at it, and again, from a patient perspective, you're, you're three years off the only still Super Bowl win in franchise history. I think Doug deserved more than at least one more year with his decision-making. And then if that doesn't work, I'm fine with it. You turn the page. I feel the same way with Nick Sirianni. It's even to a greater degree because Nick Sirianni has a 667 winning percentage, the best in team history, three consecutive playoff firsts, and bottom line is he ordered them to change coordinators. Now, it was going to happen on the defensive side anyway, and everybody wanted Vic, so that's not an issue. But offensively, Nick, uh, <laughs> Nick didn't want to give up his offense. He has said from day one to uh, the post uh, uh, the final season-ending press conference, I can't tell you how many times Nick Sirianni has told the beat reporters on the record and off the record, this is my offense, this will be my offense as long as I'm here, and it's not his offense because it was taken away from him because of the impatience of Jeffrey Lurie. And then finally, because I wanted to touch on, because you mentioned about Jalen Hurts regressing. How, before I let you go, how much of Jalen Hurts' regression was the league figuring out how to slow him down, as the 49ers players suggested, and how much of it was the coach's inability to help Jalen adjust to the league adjusting to him? 
Well, it's always players first. It's players first in, in good times, bad times, in different times. Personnel is more important than coaching. Um, hot routes is something I chuckle about um, because people would say, the Eagles don't call hot routes. Nobody calls hot routes. That's a recogni- uh, That's a quarterback and a wide receiver recognizing a blitz on the field with an un- uh, unaccounted for blitzer and adjusting. Nobody calls the hot route. Uh, to to say they're not in an uh, NFL offense is ludicrous on its face. Everybody knows it. Anybody who knows a modicum of football understands that. That's an example of the quarterback's responsibility. Now you could you could say the coaches are not preparing him properly during the week, but I would argue, well, what's changed? Um, we're just playing at an MVP level the year before with the same coordinator who was actually his position coach and, if anything, was working harder with them at that particular time, um, yeah, it's on the players more than the coaches. Always, always, always. And that's good times and bad times. Great stuff from John McMullen, Birds 365 on the Jacob Media YouTube channel each morning. Him and Jody Mack joining us here on the Sports Bash. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill on 97.3. ESPN. John, appreciate you jumping on at an earlier time today. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Josh. And we'll dig deeper into some of that coaching philosophy because when we look ahead to Super Bowl this Sunday, Chiefs and 49ers, Super Bowl 58, we'll talk with former defensive coordinator Paul Gunther coming up at 3 o'clock because I want to get you guys a coach's perspective on these things because one of the things John mentioned is, is about how the coaches preparing for different scenarios, preparing the players, preparing for what the other team is doing. And Paul's going to give us a look into what that means in a game like the Super Bowl. That's coming up in about 14 minutes from now. Coming up the other side, more of your text, 609-403-0973, and your DMs into the 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. Josh Hennig hanging out with you, filling in for Mike Gill on a Tuesday. It's this for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Let's squeeze in a couple texts before we wrap up the hour here. Josh, any you for Mike Gill on the Sports Bash. 97.3 ESPN FM. Don't forget to download the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Sea Isle City. Uh, shout out to Reggie in Salem. Tuning in all the way from the western side of South Jersey. Chime in and says, um, I heard the Pistons and Kings want Tobias Harris. Should we trade him or keep him? And I heard if we get Kuzma from the Wizards, they want first-round picks. I think he would be instrumental piece for this team with his size, outside shooting, and rebounding. Also, should we call Chicago about DeRozan? 
and Drummond or Caruso. A lot there from Reggie and Salem. Let's try to knock out each one of them real quick. And we'll dig deeper into it with Keith Pompey coming up in about 40 minutes from now. Also, Austin Kreller, Sixers insider from 973 ESPN.com at 525. So here's the first thing. To me, Reggie, I would only trade Tobias if I'm getting a high-level return. I'm not trading Tobias for someone like Alex Caruso or Andre Drummond. If you're getting somebody that's a potential all-star caliber player for Tobias Harris and like a pick, I'd be open to that. The reason why teams like the Pistons want Tobias is because he's an expiring contract. In that case, you can give up any of your expiring contracts and those teams would be happy. I don't know if Kuzma is a legitimate upgrade over Tobias Harris. I really don't. I kind of look at the, uh, Kuzma as a younger, more athletic version of Tobias. I don't know if he's actually a better player in that situation. And I wouldn't give up two first-round picks for Kyle Kuzma ever. I like the idea of DeMar DeRozan a lot. It's just a question of, does Chicago realize that they are not a contender they should be a seller? Paul Gunther, former NFL defense coordinator, next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Josh Eddie Chloe for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN FM and 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. We'll connect with Paul Gunther, longtime NFL coach, defense coordinator, in just a couple minutes here on 97.3 ESPN. So if you're text to get to at 609-403-0973 and your DMs into 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. Joel Embiid, what is his future look like? We'll talk about that with Keith Pompey coming up in less than 30 minutes from now from the Philadelphia Inquirer. And Philly.com. Want to get back to some of your guys' texts before we connect with Paul here on the text board. A lot of texts that came in in the first hour about the Sixers and what is going on with them. I wanted to address as many of you guys as I can at 609-403-0973 in your DMs into 973. ESPN Mobile Power by First Bank of Seattle. We'll join with Paul Gunther just a couple minutes about you know, his perspective on the Super Bowl, a NFL coach's perspective on the biggest game of the year between the Chiefs and the 49ers. Uh, anonymous message coming in says the Sixers are not good enough, even with Joel. Wait till the end of the year with all the free agents with the money and then take a shot then. It, the problem is, is that two things that anonymous texture. One, there's no guarantee that this Sixers team have a shot next year. There's no promise. There's no guarantee of any of that stuff. This free agent crop, this offseason, it's not great. It's not like it is something to get excited about. You know, there's a couple of interesting players, but none of them are game-changing players for the Sixers. Now, if you're telling me that you are going to have all this free cap space and you're going to use that cap space to maybe absorb a large contract, 
Sure, I can rock with that. But waiting to the end of the year to get all that free agent money, it's no guarantee of anything. You know, we we as sports fans, I include myself in this conversation, we all have been trained because of the world of, for me growing up, it was NBA Live, right? Um, you know, when I was in junior high and high school, but for everybody else, it's NBA 2K for the younger folks than me. It's the idea that we look at sports through the prism of, well, we have all this information, right? Like, I can sit here and type in who the NBA free agents are this upcoming offseason. It doesn't mean that any of these guys are a good fit for the Sixers. For example, the biggest names in free agency are Clay Thompson, James Harden, Pascal Siakam, DeMar DeRozan, D'Angelo Russell. I don't think any of those five guys are worth burning through 50-plus million in salary cap space. Now, if you're telling me that you can get a Thompson, DeRozan, uh, or someone like that on a discount and then give uh, Tyrese Maxey the big contract that he deserves... I can I can play with you with that. I can work with you with that. But we we act like because they're going to have money doesn't mean they can you know get money. Like for example, if you were to tell me that look, it's not about free agents; these offers coming. It's about absorbing someone's contract. Well, the Celtics aren't trading you, Drew Holiday. The Nuggets are not trading you, Jamal Murray. I'm assuming New Orleans is not shopping Brandon Ingram. I'm not trading a bunch of assets for Bruce Brown. Malcolm Brogdon, shoulder shrug. Bogdanovich from Detroit. I think it'd be a nice addition, but I don't think he fixes all your problems. I just named guys from the 2025 free agent class. Guys who will all be on expiring contracts next year. So if you're telling me, hey, use that salary cap space to absorb one of those guys. I can I hear you. Uh, another anonymous message coming in uh, over on the DM says, should the Sixers on the 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank? Seattle says, should the Sixers trade and bead since he can't make it through a whole season? The, the problem to me with trading and bead is twofold. One, if you're building a team to contend right here, right now, you can't do that. Now, I'll dive deeper into that with Keith Pompey coming up in about 25 minutes from now. Right now, as promised, longtime NFL coach, defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals and the Raiders, Oakland and Las Vegas. I mean, that's a conversation for another day we got to have with him about, you know, what was it like being on a team that moved from one city to another? Paul Gunther joins us now here on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill on Tuesday afternoon. Paul, welcome in. How you doing today? Josh, doing great. How you doing? I'm glad you jumped on because I was telling the audience, I want a coach's perspective on the Super Bowl because let's be realistic, Paul. You know, we all can sit at the bar and talk about a game, but you lived and breathed a lot of this stuff. Here's where I'm going to start with you. Tell the audience about what goes into it for a coach 
when you have two weeks to prepare for an opponent? Because I'm assuming it's a completely different environment and mindset from the six or five days to basically two weeks preparation. Uh, There's no doubt. I think the first week uh, when you're at your home facility, say Kansas City and there in San Francisco is at their facility, that last week was all really uh, the meat and potatoes of the game plan. And then, obviously, when you when you travel to the site, you try to keep the weeks as common as you can for the players. The players love routine. So, like today, for instance, Tuesday is an off day for the players. So you, you let them have off in Vegas. Um, and then Wednesday, uh, you come back. It's basically first and second down, some third downs. Uh, uh, Thursday would be red zone. Uh, you know, some more third downs, maybe a little bit of two-minute Friday. Uh, goal line, short yardage, a uh, little bit more red zone, um, those type of things. And Saturday, you're tying up all the loose ends for the game on Sunday. But the meat and potatoes of the game plan goes in the week that you're at your facility. That way, when you go to Vegas, you know, there's a lot of distractions. Obviously, last night we saw the immediate day, and today they have the day off. And Wednesday, uh, you want these, these practices to be kind of real crisp. Uh, you're going back through the things you already worked on and then maybe added some tweaks, some gadget plays, uh, those type of things that uh, may come up in the game for you to run. Now, you just mentioned about giving the players uh, you know, an, an extra day off here and there. How much of those days off as a coach is not wanting to do too much information overload for them? Well, that, that's a natural thing, you know, especially from a coaching standpoint is, you know, you may have a four-game breakdown. Let's just say Kansas City's playing the 49ers during the season, and they use four, comp, you know, four opponents that are like them are on offense or like them on defense. They'll use those four games for their breakdown. Well, when you have two weeks off, you're kind of looking at everything. You can look at the whole season's worth of third downs, the whole you know season's worth of red zone, whatever it is, and you try not to put too much new stuff in on the players because at the end of the day, you know, uh, when you look back at these games as, as coaches, you say, hey, what did they do so good? It's really not that much different than what they were good at during the season. So it's not like you're going to reinvent the wheel going into this game. You just got to make sure that the, uh, the details are fine. You mentioned about reinventing the wheel. Paul Gunther, longtime NFL coach, defensive coordinator with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Raiders joining us here on 97.3 ESPN. Paul, you mentioned reinventing the wheel. What is it about Andy Reid and the Chiefs that has made them this dynastic team that we're seeing? I think what they do a good job, and this goes way back when he was in Philadelphia. Uh, what, what, from a defensive perspective, you're always trying to look at the formation and say, okay, out of this formation, they, I know they run these three plays. These are the main three plays. Well, uh, he may format the formation in a different way. Uh, it may be three receivers over here. Uh, oh, I know what with that play is. And all of a sudden they, they motion the guy over to get to that. Or it might be, hey, on tape, I saw this. Uh, on tape, these three receivers were two receivers and a tight end. Well, now with the tight end, a fullback and a receiver, where um, it's all the same concepts for the quarterback, but he runs it out of different personnels and different formations with motion. So he does a lot of window dressing of the same plays, uh, and, and, and that's why they're so so good on offense. Okay, so you said window dressing. So 
you know, you played for you. I mean, you worked under guys who were longtime coaches in this league. Marvin Lewis, John Gruden. When you have coaches that have been around that long, and then you look at a guy like Andy Reid, who's been around coaching since 1999 as a head coach, yeah, how much of that window dressing is basically saying, hey, I know that you know what I'm bringing to the table, but I'm trying to show you something different. That's really, it's really the whole, the whole scheme of it all is, is, is showing. Now he'll have some new stuff and Andy's always been good at, Hey, uh, if we ran this play, you know, three weeks ago, they're going to see this play. Um, so let's run it in a different way or let's shift to it. Um, he's very, very good at, uh, self scouting, uh, himself. Uh, and you'll, you'll see that as you go through it, we'll, we'll look, he may do something from last year's season that they, that they haven't run all year. So, uh, that they've been really working on for the right time. I mean, I, I think we've seen it in other Super Bowls, some of the red zone concepts, uh, that he's run from, from, from years past that just hasn't shown up. And to me, that's really where their creatives in the red zone, um, of, of getting guys that they want to get up in Kelsey, um, the runner, those type of things in the red zone to get those guys open. Let's flip over to the defense for the Chiefs because I think Steve Spagnuolo has done an amazing job this year with this defense. They've got a, an interesting mixture of youth and veterans. What, as a coach, have you seen that Kansas City has done this year that has made that defense so impactful that they are top 10 in so many different categories? I think, really, this is – and how Spags has an opportunity – uh, to interview for head coach, uh, just with the job he's done this this year alone, um, is baffling to me. He's he. It, it, I, I don't think people understand in the NFL, especially you know uh, when you're in, you're you're going to the playoffs every year, how hard it is to be successful every year. Um, and I think you know probably early on uh, when uh, when when, they, when Mahomes just started getting going and they were scoring you know thirty thirty five points a game. You know, they get up early, and then you could kind of dial up blitzes and coverages and let the guys rush. Um, um, their offense is really the strong point. Well, this year, in my opinion, the defense has been stellar. Um, they, they have a good blend of youth and older players. Um, he mixes up the coverages really good, um, and he understands protections and how to attack uh, the protections. The biggest key in this game is going to be stopping – you know, the outside zone plays and some of the perimeter screens that the 49ers like to run. So I think tackling is going to be a premium. You mentioned about matching up. Do the Chiefs match up well with the 49ers? Because, Paul, all year people have said that the 49ers are one of the most difficult teams to match up with. But we saw in the postseason the Packers, they slowed them down a little bit. Packers aren't the most talented team in the league, right? You saw a team like the Lions – they're not as good as the Chiefs' defense, but yet for a one-half, they slow down the 49ers' offense. So do the Chiefs match up well with the 49ers' offense? Uh, I, I believe I believe they do. I mean, I, they, they do a good job, um, obviously, on the perimeter with their corners. They tackle. There's not a lot of corners that like to tackle, and that's really what the 49ers uh, forced. Uh, the, the opposing teams to make their corners tackle, whether it be a wide receiver screen or uh, a reverse or an outside zone running play. Um, they do a good job with their interior front on the cutback runs. 
you know, uh, Jones is a handful inside there, and they move him around a bunch. So uh, to get an idea where he lines up is always difficult. And I think Willie Gay's become a really good uh, young player that's ascending, and uh, he's kind of he's kind of running the orchestrating the defense. Let's flip it over to the 49ers offense, Paul. When you look at that offense, what is the difference for you, from your perspective as a coach, between you know Kyle Shanahan, this is the third time he's been in this big stage, right? He had the Falcons offense, MVP winner, Matt Ryan. Then he got with the 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo. Now it's Brock Purdy and this version. For you... Is there a difference or a variable for you for the 49ers from the last couple of times Shanahan was on the big stage compared to this time? I think the quarterback play has been a lot uh, steady. Um, and it's what they do a great job of. And it's the first thing you notice when you put the film on. It's just the way they get up and get, they get, up and get down. They get off the ball. Um, some people say, like, if you close your eyes and – and you listen to it on the field, it's a different sound of when their offensive line comes off the ball because they're always in conjunction. They do a good job of working with one another, whether it's, you know, cutting the backside of a play where McCaffrey can put his foot in the ground and cut back. Uh, The receivers and tight ends do an awesome job of blocking downfield. Um, And that's why, you know, a big place for them are, you know, long runs, wide receiver screens, reverses to Debo, uh, those type of things because they're a selfless group where everybody's involved, everybody's blocking, there's no guys taking off. And then obviously what they make you do is they make you play an eight-man front on defense, and then most of it, so your corners are outside leverage and uh, your nickels are outside leverage of the receivers because you're in eight-man spacing. And what they do with their passing game, knowing that you're going to be in an eight-man front is a lot of inside breaking routes in between the numbers whether it be digs or crossers or those type of things. So they really, really do a good job of, uh, of mixing run and pass where, you know, to me, I think the weakness of the 49ers, you know, not so much the last couple of weeks is, is if you, if you have to force them to drop back and throw the ball, that's where, you know, they're not as quite as uh, uh, varied as you would say, but they've done a good job the last couple of weeks in those situations, which is uh, encouraging to see. Now, you mentioned about the the weakness there. So, for you, when you say drop back and throw the ball, are you referring to, like, the volume of throwing, or are you talking about, like, you know, taking deep shots or pressing the ball down the field? I'm just saying, like, hey, it's, it's you know, we're, you're, you're, down, you're down 14 points, and you gotta, you got to get in the shotgun, and everybody in the ballpark knows you're throwing the ball. Uh, those type of things. If, if you can get them in, in those type of situations, and like I said, the last couple of weeks, because they got behind against Green Bay and they got behind against Detroit, that has been their kryptonite, if you will. When you get them behind and they ha- and they, you're not really worried about the play actions, you're not really re- worried about the runs. If they want to run the ball for five yards, so be it. Um, where you can sit back and play coverage and make make the quarterback beat you in different uh, style of coverages. Okay, so. We know that the guy on the other side of the field is Patrick Mahomes, right? So we know that in many cases, a lot of team strategy is play keep away, right? Don't give Pat Mahomes as few opportunities as possible to beat you. Is that a strategy the 49ers can use in a game like this? I think, honestly, if you really watch the, 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 the Chiefs the last couple of weeks, 
uh, after I think they lost on Christmas Day, I think they really reinvented their offense where it's, hey, we're going to run the ball. We're, we're going to run the ball uh, in between the tackles uh, with Pacheco on the perimeter, and we're going to throw short to intermediate passes. If you look at Baltimore, who's a zone-heavy defense, they probably threw uh, the couple of drives they had. They threw the ball five, seven, eight, five. I think the longest throw of the game was the last one in the two in a four-minute situation that iced the game. So um, to me, it's it's going to be. You know, that's an extension of their run game. They trust Pat Mahomes in zone defenses to throw the ball accurately for five yards, for seven yards, hand the ball to Pacheco, throw a screen to Pacheco. Um, they're going to have to slow the rush down of the 49ers early in the ball game with screens, uh, those type of things. Um, and then, you know, you're keeping the ball away from the 49ers. That's really what they did against Baltimore, and Baltimore kind of panicked a little bit, I thought, on offense just because, they felt like they were behind the eight ball all day that they needed to, you know, score quick. So uh, to me, that's what the forty nine. That's what the Chiefs have become. They used to be a shot team where they're throwing bombs to Tyree Kill down the field, and now they're more of a short to intermediate running team. Call more for former NFL defense coordinator Paul Gunther joining me here, Josh Henning, on a Tuesday afternoon of the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. You mentioned the 49ers' pass rush. Well, Andy Reid said last night it's a long shot for Joe Thune to play in this game on Sunday. So without a guy who is a Pro Bowl, All-Pro caliber left guard in Thune, are the Chiefs going to be able to slow down the 49ers' pass rush? To me, that's a, you know the the guy that's filling in for him, Nick Allegretti, is a really good run blocker, and he did a really good job. You watched the film last week against the Ravens, a uh, blocking, and again, going back to what I was saying earlier, was just the three and five step drops where the ball's coming out and the pass rush can't get to Mahomes in time uh, to get him. So um, I think the 49ers, they're a big cover three team. They play a little bit of quarters, which is zone concept. They're going to have to play a little bit more uh, man-matched defenses against against the Chiefs so they have a body for a body. Otherwise, you know, Mahomes is going to take three. He's going to take five. He's going to be accurate. And if he gets hot, it's going to be a long day for the 49ers. But, again, if they can make them hold the ball, cover their guys, then that's where the, the, the Chiefs are going to struggle uh, protecting Mahomes. Paul, before I let you go, for you, when we're all watching the game on Sunday, what is going to be the key that you are watching for in this game that could determine the outcome? Um, I, I would look early on is, is you know, the Chiefs have been pretty good uh, run defense uh, pretty much all year. I would say early on in the ball game that the 49ers are really gashing them in the running game. Um, that's gonna that that means that they're gonna they're gonna have control of the game um, as far as running play action that, those types of things. Um, if they're struggling to run the ball early, it's gonna be tough because you know obviously you know Mahomes it's tough to it's tough to bet against Mahomes. I would say that just playing against the guy in so many years. Um, it, it, he's he's just a really good player. So I would say if the 49ers were able to run the ball early and and have high success, particularly in the first you know twenty you know quarter and a half of the game, uh, uh, that would be a big a good good sign for the 49ers. 
former Bengals and Raiders defensive coordinator, longtime NFL coach Paul Gunther was my guest here on the Sports Pass. Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill on the Tuesday edition on 97.3 ESPN. Paul, great stuff. I appreciate you joining me today. Awesome, Josh. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Enjoy the game. Absolutely. Paul Gunther joining us here on 97.3 ESPN. I I love when he talked about how, you know, it's about these matchups. It's about putting yourself in a position for these matchups. And I I just can't get that out of my mind, the idea that, you know, as I mentioned, Joe Tooney, I mean, this guy is being replaced by a guy whose strength is run blocking. Allegretti, he said he's a great run blocker. Well, sometimes when you're a great at one skill, you might not be good at something else. So do the 49ers press the Chiefs on that point on Super Bowl Sunday? Well, you can find out. You can hear the whole game's coverage starting at 5 o'clock right here on 97.3 ESPN. You can hear the streaming on the 97.3 ESPN mobile app. Free thanks to First Bank of Seattle. All right. We're going to get back to the Sixers conversation next Keith Pompey, Sixers insider for Philadelphia Inquirer and Philly.com. Joel Embiid, he will be reevaluated in four weeks. But what does that mean for the trade deadline that is about 48 hours away? Well, that's Keith Pompey coming up next. Josh Hennig filling for Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. It's Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Josh, how are you feeling for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN? Sports Bash being brought to you by the Gallery Bar Booking Games and Ocean Casino Resort. Whether it's football season, basketball season, go to the gallery, go to the ocean, go for the win. For more info, visit theoceanac.com. Listen, whether it's Super Bowl Sunday, March Madness, the gallery at Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City is the place to be. Listen, I know Mike Gill, you hear Mike Gill all the time, but I'm telling you someone different, okay? The ocean is the place you want to be. Whether it's Super Bowl, March Madness, NBA playoffs, whatever your uh, like is, whatever your interest is, the Gallery Bar Booking Games at Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. For more info, visit OceanAC.com. Let's dig deep, deeper into the Sixers now. What is going to happen next for Philadelphia as we are counting down the hours to the trade deadline? Well, Sixers insider for Philly.com, Philadelphia Inquirer, Keith Pompey, joining us here on 97.3 ESPN. Keith, I appreciate you making the time. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well. You? I'm doing good. So, it, let's give some clarity for the audience out there. So, when the reporting comes out that Embiid has successful surgery, which I never heard of an unsuccessful surgery, but I digress. Um, when, you know, when it's, you don't want to hear that. right? Yeah, exactly. I, I think the last guy, I think the last guy had unsuccessful surgery with uh, Grant Hill because he had septic. Right, that's the last guy I could think of that had unsuccessful yeah. surgery. But, um, but so yeah, he, he has successful surgery. He's being reevaluated in four weeks. So. 
translate that for the audience. Well, basically, so I think the Sixers aren't, they're, they're not being a little transparent, but they are being transparent. And, and what I mean by that is, so apparently there was two types of procedures that Joel could have. He could have the repair where he goes in there and he gets the knee repaired, or he goes in there and he gets the, you know, like, you know, the, uh, the meniscus taken out, like snipped out, right? The piece, whatever. So the thing is, for the recovery for the first one, repair is four months. You're going to be out for four months. So if the Sixers, are, the recovery for the second one, where it gets snipped and it's like, Arthur, you know, gets scoped and all that, what that is, that's from four to six weeks. So when they say he's going to be reevaluated in four weeks, it's basically telling us that, and 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 four to six weeks, and they, they're basically trying to see if he can return to play. So he got the latter one. He got his scoped. They're going to check him out in four weeks. The hope is that he's going to be able to come back and play. So that's what they're saying. When he gets reevaluated, he's going to be reevaluated so they can see where he is in that process. But that recovery time is four to six weeks, which means is in four weeks from now is is March the second, the team the six or March the second, including that that Sixers will play the Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn, um, including that game. They will have twenty two games left in the season, and then they go into the to the uh, the playoffs. So. They're saying that the hope is that if everything is goes well, Joel Embiid will return late in the season. Okay, so with that being said, I know for me, and I thought we talked about it for the last hour and a half now, Keith. I saw the Sixers last night. I saw them Saturday. I don't know if this team is good enough as currently constructed to last until Joel Embiid gets back. Like I'm looking through their schedule coming up. I mean, you got multiple games against the Knicks, multiple games against the Cavs. You got the Bucks, the Celtics on the schedule. This is not an easy road. Oh, by the way, the Warriors are coming to town tomorrow night, and you know you're one crazy night from Steph Curry from a loss, basically. So, you know, this team is currently constructed. I don't know if they are capable of staying above water without Embiid until he comes back. Yeah, and see, that's the thing, too. The, the one thing is I think they need to go out there and they need to make a trade. I think they need to make a trade for Andre Drummond. I've been saying that for, you know, the last couple of days. And and the reason being is when we look at the Sixers, you know, you, you, you're never going to be able to replace Joel Embiid. I'm not looking for Drummond to do the things that Joel can do. What I'm looking for him to be is a consistent rebounder and be a presence, right, as someone who can a body who can set picks, someone who could do a lot of other things. Let's face it, he was a two-time all-star. So you bring him in there and then you try to get by. Now the other thing is, I think that the one thing that we're all forgetting about is that yes, you lost Joel Embiid. The Sixers do have a four and ten record, a four and eleven record when Joel Embiid doesn't play. However, the thing is they also were without Robert Covington, who's one of their key uh reserves. And in addition to that, Nico Batum and um, and DeAnthony Melton also didn't play. Those three guys are their top three perimeter defenders, right? They're arguably their best three defenders on the team, right? So you don't have them, and then you don't have Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid's probably one of the top top. He is one of the top defenders as well. But I'm talking about perimeter. They're the three best, right? So I feel like if you go out there, these guys are coming back. 
if you go out there and you and you get like a, a drumming, I think that you can tread water a little bit. You know what I mean? You can. And then when Embiid comes back, see, my question is, do you want a hunt, Embiid to be 100% and you're the fifth seed? Or would you like Embiid to be 50 to 60% and you're the third seed? You understand what I'm saying? Right. I feel like that this team could go on a nice run or be successful if Embiid is healthy and all these other guys are healthy. You know, the way this team is constructed. Now, you mentioned Drummond. I'm assuming it's not going to take a ton of assets to get a guy like him at this point, right? It might. You say it, it might. might. Why, why is that? Because they know you need him. Okay. And, and what I mean by the assets are, it's kind of like, okay, give us a draft pick. You know what I mean? So in regards to money, monetary, now nah, he's making $3 million. I wish I was making $3 million. <laughs> well, I'm making, man, just give me $750,000, right? But but the deal is, the thing is, if you're in Chicago and you know that the Sixers are in dire need to get Andre Drummond because of they need somebody to help stop the bleeding with Embiid, yeah, I'm like, okay. I want a young, nice, young star, and I want I want a, a draft pick. So yeah, they, they you know it may cost a lot, but you know so that's the Sixers. If, if the Sixers go that route, they have to decide what they're willing to give up for this guy. Keith Pompey joining us for the Philadelphia Inquirer, Philly.com, Sixers Insider, at Pompey on Sixers on the Twitter X platform. Joining me, Josh Eddie filling from Mike Gill on a Tuesday edition of the Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. You mentioned Chicago, so that's kind of where I was going to go with that question originally. If you're going to get Drummond, is there another guy that the Sixers could maybe pry away from Chicago along with Drummond, considering that without Levine, Chicago is going to fall pretty fast? I, I, I'm trying to stay away from Levine. I mean, well, well, I don't think they'll go get him. I mean, there are some other guys that you would like, like Alex Caruso and all this other stuff. But my thing is, what are you willing to give up for to get that guy? And if you give up something, is that going to impact you? Is that going to hinder you? Like, I look at, um, you know, I mean, right now, you know, I mean, I don't think that Chicago is going to say, all right, well, we're going to take Jaden Springer for Alex Caruso. I don't think Chicago is going to say, we'll take KJ, uh, um, KJ Martin for him. You know what I mean? Like, then it comes down to, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll take somebody that you want, but we're not, not going to give you both of these guys. Does that make sense? So right now I'm looking at Drummond as just, he's not a want, he's a need. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a need. Like, you know, he's a need. He's a guy that they need. So I could say doing that, but I don't know if I want to go out there and get Caruso. Now, I would love to have Caruso if I'm the Sixers, but at the same time, what what you giving him up for? You know what I mean? What, what are you giving up? What are you going to give up? What do you say to the Sixer fans who would like to see DeMar DeRozan come to Philadelphia? Um... I like DeMar. Um, the, the only thing is, I mean, I think that he would help out a little bit. But my question is, how much is that going to stunt Maxie's growth? You know, like maybe for this season, you know, I, I can see that. But, but I also believe that you're going to have to give up a lot for DeMar, though, in regards to those assets that you have, you know. 
So the, the thing is, all right, so you have DeMar, and then DeMar comes off the books, and then you just go through free agency next next summer. But I like DeMar, but I think that everybody talked about the one draft pick. I believe that for DeMar DeRozan, you're probably going to have to give up more than just one draft pick because the going rate, you got guys who are, I'm not going to say role players, but they haven't been lethal scorers like him. They haven't been all-stars like him. Teams are getting two to three draft picks for him. So I think that tomorrow you're going to have to give up something for him. Yeah, I know someone texted in earlier to the show about how Kyle Kuzma, and I'm like, I'm not getting up two first-round picks for Kyle Kuzma. I'm sorry. like, I, There's there's no scenario I'm doing that. So you're right. There's there's a lot of guys who got a lot of currency potentially coming their way in these deals. Yeah, a lot of them. And, and you know, Kyle Kuzma is a big name. He's a guy that um, Washington really likes. So in order for you to get him, you're going to have to give up something, and, and those picks may have to come because they really like him. He has a great contract. Um, you know, he's a guy that could help the 76ers. The only thing is, though, if you have him and you have Tobias Harris, you know, I, I don't know if Washington wants Tobias. Right. You know, but but it's like, you got you in a way you're going to have two guys that have similar roles right now and and how is that going to impact it but you know i can see you know where why everybody likes kyle i mean and i think the sixers aren't the only one if they wanted them they wouldn't be the only team i mean he's a a, a great player with a great contract you led me right to tobias harris which is where i wanted to go here because he is on an expiring contract so in the past, he is a candidate that teams would be interested in. But the Sixers have other expiring contracts as well. He's not the only, he's just the, the biggest expiring contract on this team. Do you foresee a scenario where Tobias Harris would get traded? Because let's be realistic, he is a guy that has value to this team. I don't see it right now because, see, the thing about it is, I mean, you can trade Tobias, but in order for you to trade Tobias, I think that you would trade him for, like, a player that's better than him, right? You know what I mean? It has to be someone that's going to come in here and they're going to be, not you think is going to be better, someone you know that's going to be better. Like, I wouldn't trade Tobias unless I'm able to get a guy who was an all-star level player, right? right? You know what I mean? Or, like, and then if, if not, if it's somebody under contract, you got to be 100% sure that that's going to be the guy that you really want because you're giving away some of your cap space, right? Or so you have to like determine like, okay, well, if it is a Kyle Kuzma or someone like that, this is going to have to be somebody that we're going to move forward with. Like we're 100% confident that he's going to be in part of the mix with Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. The thing is, another thing with, with, with Tobias is it's kind of like, you know, right now when they're talking about winning, at least until um, Embiid comes back, it has to be the Maxi and Tobias show. Like they're providing the scoring. Like they're going, they're like the two guys that you're relying heavily on. So then all of a sudden, with Embiid being out, then you have to make sure that this next person that you have is able to do what Tobias is doing. Can he be come in here and be give you? instant offense that you need until Embiid gets back. So there's a lot of variables to me and a lot of reasons why they should keep him. Now, again, if they can trade him and get an all-star type player, so be it. Do it. But if it's not, I, I don't know if I'm if I want to do that right now. 
and the man covering all those variables at Pompey on Sixers on the Twitter X platform at Philly.com. But the Philadelphia Inquirer is Keith Pompey joining us here on the Sports Bash. Josh Henning filling for Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Keith, before I let you go, I did want to publicly congratulate you on being the Philadelphia Sports Writers Association Stan Hawkman Award recipient for journalism excellence this year. So congratulations, my friend. Well deserved. Do me? It's like, nah, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. I really do. I really do. Thank you. <laughs> Keep up the great work, man. Peace. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Josh Ennick filling in for Mike Gale here on 97.3 ESPN. Keith, for those of you who don't know, Keith, Keith is the hard, hard worker. He is, he is a to-the-grindstone type of guy he's not a guy in it just for the uh, the glitz and the glamour he doesn't do it for those reasons you know he's he's all hard work so uh, i was glad to see him get some uh recognition out there and great stuff from him I, he agreed with what i've said in the past that you know you don't trade tobias harris unless you're getting an all-star caliber player in return the problem is is that in order to get that all-star caliber player how many assets do you have to give up to get that guy? And as Keith said, does that guy fit in with Maxi and Embiid long-term? Because you may get a guy who works great for like eight weeks with Maxi, but then if he doesn't work with Embiid, when Embiid comes back, how does that impact the future of this team? Things to think about for Keith Pompey. Then we'll talk more about the Sixers as well throughout the show. Coming up, more of your text at 609-403-0973. And Austin Krell, our Sixers insider from 97.3 ESPN. Coming up at 525 tonight. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Josh and Nick here on 97.3 ESPN wrapping up. The 3 o'clock hour. Squeeze in some more of your texts here at 609-403-0973. Your DMs into 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank. See how uh, Jeff Moses says, will the Sixers even get out of the second round if they are a four-seater lower? Jeff, I think it's styles make fights. I think that it depends on so many variables. You know, Milwaukee has been a dumpster fire since Doc Rivers took over. They have not gotten better. They've gotten worse in some ways. Milwaukee might not even be the three seed by the time you get to the postseason, right? You know, what if the Pacers go on a hot streak and it's the Sixers versus the Pacers, six versus three, or Sixers and Pacers, four versus five, and the Knicks end up in the three seeded and Milwaukee drops down to the six. You know, if you get a team like the Pacers, you could certainly have a chance to beat them in the first round and take out Milwaukee if they move up. or The team that concerns me is Boston. I think Boston is just the worst matchup for Philadelphia. The Knicks are interesting because I don't know what the Knicks are right now. I feel like they are they, they are a Jalen Brunson supernova right now, just shooting across the sky. But that might not win you a bunch of games in the postseason. So 
it depends on who you face in the second round. If you if you face Milwaukee or you face Indiana, you might have a chance to beat those teams. But the Celtics, probably not. The Knicks, I don't think so. The Cavs, we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, also on the text board, um, uh, Willie from uh, Taste of Love Food Trucks says, I agree with you 100%. The Sixers are going to have to make a trade for a big man of some sort. Just keep our heads above water. Well, Willie, you could let me know, is Andre Drummond a good enough big man that Keith Pompey was recommending? So for you, Willie, is that good enough? Might not be for some people. Rich from the Crest says, Josh, maybe the bigger question is who would trade with the Sixers and give them a shot at staying afloat until Joel gets back? Well, anybody's well, you're going to give them what they want. Rich from the Crest. I think it, that's a little bit more of a simple of an answer. It's... If you're willing to give up draft picks, if you're willing to give up expiring contracts, I think those are the type of assets that get teams to have a conversation. I don't think a team necessarily wants Robert Covington, Marcus Morris, and a first-round pick, but they are expiring contracts, and you can give a first-round pick for somebody, it has value. It's something to get. And I think a team that is clearly a seller is going to give the Sixers a chance to stay afloat. You know, I mentioned the Chicago because they are plummeting down the standings right now. No Zach Levine means that they are not going to make the postseason. They are DOA, dead on arrival in the postseason. All right, coming up, we'll get more of your text on the other side. Plus, football at four. Jeff Mosher joins us for a second straight day here on 97.3 ESPN. Atlantic City, 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Just hungry to bring back another Lombardi to Philly. Uh, it's, uh, the fans deserve it. Our team deserves it. Uh, culture begs for it. Now live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, and of course, brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. Of course, they bring you Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, and of course, the Inside the Birds podcast, InsideTheBirds.com, is run by this man, Jeff Mosher, joining us for a second straight day here on 97.3 ESPN. Jeff, welcome back in. Two days in a row. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. How are you feeling, Josh? I'm doing pretty good. Well, you know, you don't usually do the back-to-back, so I'm just checking on you. So, Yeah, I don't. I think I can handle it. I'm a pro. I've done this before, so I think we're going to be all right. <laughs> but if I have any slip-up, I'm sure you'll, you'll help me along the way and let me know. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you some guidance. You know, you know, maybe you uh, maybe, uh, yeah, you know, let the dog out for her to go to the bathroom or something while you're at it. So, it's part of the show. Oh, it's part of the show. Okay, <laughs> my bad, my bad. Jeff, here's where I want to start with you because one of the things you and Adam talked about on on the pod on Monday and Friday was about the coaches. And you know, for a lot of Eagle fans, this whole process has really drug out. You know, I think a lot of people are not used to the the new schedule for coaching and interviews and hires in the system. And seeing the way these coaches have like slowly matriculated in big picture. What is your take? And we just lost Jeff Mosher on the phone line. We just got to get up and ask him the question. The question jerk. (laughs) Anybody 
<laughs> so, well, hopefully Jeff will uh, realize his, his uh, phone connection dropped and he'll uh, <laughs> join us back. <laughs> uh, there we go. All right, we got we got Jeff back in here uh, on ninety seven three. Do I got you now, Jeff? Can you hear yeah, me now? Sorry about that. I can hear you. Sorry about that. You know, technology is not the easiest thing to deal with sometimes. You know that. Oh, I know. Technology is not always my friend. Me, me and technology have a love-hate relationship. But what I was going to ask you before technology decided to cut us off was, Jeff, what is your big picture takeaway about the how this whole Eagles refurbishing of the coaching staff has gone? Josh, um, experience at a variety of levels, not just offensive and defensive coordinator, where you have Vic Fangio has been a long time defensive coordinator and head coach in this league, but you've got his staff, right? I mean, they're bringing in um, the DB's coach, Christian Parker, who has led a room. He has been a defensive backs coach before. This will not be his first rodeo there. Clint Hurt, the defensive line coach, same thing. He's been a defensive line coach for a long time. He's been a defensive coordinator, so that's a lot of great experience there. Kellen Moore has been an, uh, a, a coordinator for five years now. I've had two number one offenses. So experience, proven resume. I think, you know, it's difficult for coaches to replace coaches who are lost. And last year, Eagles had a tough time losing Gannon after the Super Bowl, losing Nick Rallis. Then they made the decision to go with Sean Desai, and that cost them Denard Wilson. So they lost a lot of really good coaches. Uh, Shane Steichen, of course, lost there. And then with Brian Johnson getting promoted to offensive coordinator, they promoted a uh, Alex Tanney, the quarterback coach, but he had never led a room as well. So when you look at this coaching staff, which is still rounding into form, and there might be some more changes, we'll have to see uh, the totality of it all when it's done. But you can see that there's far more experience, um, veteran savvy on this coaching staff so far than there was last year. That should make a difference if, you know, when you look at the Super Bowl, right, uh, Josh, and, and Look at the 49ers. They lost to Miko Ryans, and they went out and got Steve Wilkes to be their defensive coordinator. Steve Wilkes had been a head coach. He's been a defensive coordinator. It's a successful one for quite a while. You look at Andy Reid. When, um, when this thing really started for Andy Reid, when they became Super Bowl champions, he knew he needed to get uh, better in the coaching staff, and he went with Steve Spagnuolo, who's done an excellent job after a couple of years of having Bob Sutton in a 3-4 defense out there that just wasn't working. Uh, so you look at those two teams and you look about the importance it is to get guys on your staff that you're, if you're not familiar with them, you're familiar with their work and you know that their work has succeeded elsewhere. So you, you mentioned about these guys' experience and how many years they've been coaching. I think most people know about Fangio. Let's go to the offense for a minute, okay? Kellen Moore and now Doug Nussmeyer. What do those two guys who used to play quarterback, for you, what is the difference between those two former quarterbacks and the former quarterback who was here before, Brian Johnson? Well, I mean, there's the, there's the small picture view of that and the big picture view. So let's start with the big picture view. The difference is Kellen Moore and, by extension, Doug Nussmeyer are going to run the offense that they've been running uh, in Dallas and L.A., and they're going to implement that here, and it's their offense. Whereas Brian Johnson was the play caller for an offense that was largely 
um, influenced by Nick Sirianni and as they would tell you was really a, uh, a, an offense that was of the many, not of the one, right? So um, that to me is a difference there. Uh, and I'm not trying to absolve Brian Johnson. I'm just simply saying I don't know that we ever really saw the, the quote-unquote Brian Johnson offense. I think we saw Brian Johnson trying to run Nick Sirianni's offense. So that will be a big difference with Kellen Moore having the autonomy that he has and Doug Nussmeyer having coached under Kellen Moore now for several years. Um, so, And then the second part of that is that Nussmeyer has been a tight ends coach to a quarterback's coach. I imagine his next job will be offensive coordinator. This will not, he is not a young first time position coach the way Alex Tanney was last year. So that goes back to my point on experience. And when you're talking about leading a room, you have guys who are used to doing. So, what to you, for you, what does that mean for Jalen Hurts? Because a lot of people feel like Jalen Hurts took a step back, he regressed. He, did not have, and I think anybody with two eyes can tell, he did not have a good season. He had a, he had a solid year, but he didn't have a MVP runner-up caliber like the year before. So how do these guys with their experience, how does that change things for Jalen? That's a question that's you know left to be answered, Josh. I can sit here and tell you that um, Kellen Moore is going to have better answers against the Blitz because he has throughout his career. I mean, it, I can tell you that, you know, Dak Prescott had some of his best seasons under Colin Moore, so therefore, Jalen Hurts will have the opportunity to do so as well. But I can't, you know, I mean, but we, younger reporter me probably would have said that. Older experienced reporter me says, let's see how it all works out, because it doesn't always work out the way you imagine it. First and foremost, you, you, you have to wonder how the offense is going to look with Kellen Moore if he does what he does, that involves a lot of shifting. That, that involves a lot of motion. We have not seen that from the Eagles offense much under the Nick Sirianni era, right? And we don't know if that's something that Jalen Hurts likes or doesn't like. Uh, so that is something, and we don't know if it's something he's comfortable with or not comfortable with. Uh, Kellen Moore's offense has a lot of under center. The Eagles are not under center very often. They started to do it last year when things were starting to go a little bit south because they wanted to try to be less predictable. Okay. Uh, so we've seen them do it, but can it be something that is incorporated into the offense more and is it going to be something that Jalen Hurts is familiar with? So uh, our, our, we have an analytics reporter named Sam Finkel who did a really good job today on uh, InsideTheBirds.com of breaking down Kellen Moore's offensive tendencies, philosophies from a data standpoint and what the data shows about Moore's offenses compared to the league average, uh, how much their what their pass ratio run, I'm sorry, pass run ratio is compared to the league average, and also what its success against the blitz is compared to the league average, and also compared to the Eagles uh, over the last few years. So you can look at those numbers and say, okay, well then they're going to do this, but you, you just you can't do that because you just don't know how everybody's going to react and um, and acclimate to the offensive concepts. Talking with Jeff Mosher, Eagles insider from the Inside the Birds podcast, InsideTheBirds.com, at Jeff P. Mosher on the Twitter X platform here on Tuesday edition of Football at 4 on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Eddick filling in for Mike Gill on a Tuesday afternoon. Jeff, you know, with that being said, 
could it be also said that you mentioned about Jalen and the motion, right? What is Jalen comfortable with? Could it also be said that Jalen is a professional quarterback and he should be able to adjust to some of these things that are going to be asked of him? 100%. Now, theoretically, we can say he should be able to. He should be able to. It doesn't always happen. You know, we can go back to Andre Dillard and say, hey, you're a professional. You should be able to play right tackle even though you've played left tackle all your life. But when Andre Dillard says, well, that's kind of like, you know, writing with your left hand if you're a right-hander, and we remember how uncomfortable he looked for a while there playing right tackle, it becomes an easier said than done thing. You can't force someone to be comfortable with something that they're not comfortable with, but you can certainly expect that this will be something that gets repped and practiced all throughout OTAs, throughout summer training camp, and everything, and the coaches are going to see does Jalen take to this well? Does Jalen take to that well? Can we go under center more? Can we run more motion? Some quarterbacks, uh, Trey Thomas has talked about this a lot with us, Josh, and this may give you an example of how things can be easier said than done. But Trey Thomas's experience as a quarterback is there are some that just get a little bit um, itchy when they see color crossing their face. So think about blitz pickup, right? If your quarterback uh, has a running back to his left, in a shotgun, running back standing to the left, and the running back has to cross the quarterback's eyes to pick up a extra rusher from the right side, that can, that can make a quarterback, instead of staying patient in the pocket, sort of bail because automatically he sees color crossing in space. All right? So that's an unintended consequence of something that is schematically good and schematically sound. So it's easy. That's why I say, it's sort of easy to say hey, motion can be great, and it can be – give you all sorts of tells and it can confuse the defense, but all of a sudden, if it's, if it's playing mental, if it's mentally uh, tough or it gives your quarterback mental gymnastics, then that's not a good thing, right? So um, it's all, it's, it all remains to be seen. You know, what's interesting, Jeff, is that you mentioned about, you know, what you're doing to the quarterback, but also it's about what you're doing to the other team, right? How you're putting that quarterback in position to be successful. And, you know, one of the comments that was made about an hour ago and I wanted to ask you about is, because I had a former defensive coordinator, Paul Gunther, on an hour ago, Jeff. And he talked about, you know, one of the things that differentiates guys like Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid is the fact that even though you know what's coming, you still might not know what's coming because those guys have been so good at, taking what they do and like re-changing the window dressing, re-changing how it looks. So they're still running the similar offenses, but they're adjusting to how they display it. So how does something like that impact team like the Eagles, where now you have people like Kellen Moore who have more experience than Brian Johnson as saying, hey, this is what we run, but we're going to make it look different, Jalen. Yeah, I mean, imagine with all the experience Kellen Moore has, plus being a Cowboys coordinator, he's pretty experienced with teams in the division, even though coaches change, and there'll be a lot of personnel that he remembers and is familiar with. You don't feel like there's going to have to be an adaptation period. Well, you know, I remember the first three, four, five weeks of the season, we would say, hey, look, Brian Johnson's learning here. It's calling plays for the first time. He's adapting to his new role, and and every week is going to be a learning experience for him. Um, and not that you ever stop learning, but Kellen Moore is not going to be learning on the fly. I mean, this is something that he's done, and he should know from week one what he wants to do and what he can do with his Eagles offense. And let's face it, Josh, he 
walked into a pretty darn good offense as far as how it's constructed right now and the playmakers and the personnel. And he knows. That's another advantage. He knows this personnel. He's coached against it. So um, it, it's less of a period of acclimation in my mind because he kind of has that foundation already built. Call more for Jeff Mosher from the Inside the Birds podcast, insidethebirds.com, at Jeff P. Mosher, the Twitter X platform here on Football at 4 on 97.3 ESPN. Jeff, talk to the audience about, you know, for you, when you see that guys like D.K. McDonald and Joe Casper are going to be coming to Vic Fangio in Philadelphia, what does that say to you about how you expect this defense, which really was the biggest flaw for this team last year at the end of the day. What do those coaches bring with Fangio to Philly? Knowledge of his system. So you need that trickle down. You need your coaching philosophy to be in place from your coordinator. And then you need your position coaches to be able to coach up to the standard that your coordinator sets. If you go back to last year, you know, I spoke to some people who, who I would call our defensive sources or um, have their knowledge on the defensive side of the ball, and they were sort of confused by some of the, say, like leverages and techniques that Eagles were using in the secondary compared to the coverage that they were playing. For example, if you're playing a one-shell, you only have one safety deep, but you've got both of your outside corners playing an outside leverage and funneling the receiver is inside. How, what kind of stress are you putting on a safety where you're, where you're funneling both receivers from opposite sides of the field toward the safety? It's a, toward one safety. Um, so there was always some, some discombobulation, the way it was explained to me, with how the Eagles are playing the defense. And remember, Sean Desai had taken over, and he inherited some coaches. He, he brought in some of his own. And then we all saw the disaster of Matt, Patrat, Matt Patricia trying to then call plays for a Fangio scheme and crowbar his Belichick concepts into it. It was a disaster, a beautiful disaster, uh, unfortunately, for Eagles fans. You shouldn't have that issue here. You've got position coaches who have already worked with the coordinator, who know what his system is, who know what they have to do, what techniques and leverages will be expected of them to coach the way to attack the ball if it's on the run, uh, and their gap schemes because of Vic Fangio already working with these guys. The message is there. They'll have all of training camp, all of OTAs, to have that message trickle down and then coach to the players. You don't have to worry about an identity crisis in my mind um, because you have uniformity and solidarity among that staff. So with that uniformity, that solidarity, that coaching, Jeff, who on the Eagles' defense do you think is going to benefit from that consistent message? And just as a, I think everybody, you know, I think the defensive line had some real issues uh, last year uh, with gap integrity and playing the run, things like that, um, even rushing the passer. Uh, even, I wouldn't say the front, the, the front six. You, know, you had linebackers running into the backs of defensive linemen. It looks like they were not on the same page as to what gaps that they were supposed to be defending correctly and two gapping here and one gapping there. So I think that's going to be – should be rectified with Clint Hurt and uh, well, I guess whoever comes in and coaches the linebackers will see what they do there. But and then, of course, on the back end, I mean, 
you, you, you and I both know this, Josh. It's going to be personnel related. These coaches aren't miracle workers. They're not just going to come in and produce a top five defense right. if you gave them the same personnel as last year. But if you give them players who are familiar with the scheme or players who are good enough players that from the day, first day of camp till the first day of the season, all I'm sorry, first day of OTAs till the first day of season, understand what the message is and can carry it out, then you'll have a team that's playing much more together than last year's team. Jeff, before I let you go, with that being said about personnel, obviously one of the things you and Jeff talked, I'm sorry, you and Adam talked about on Monday's pod was about the different guys who are going to be free agents. Is there a guy, and there's a there's a lot of free agents for the Eagles right now, but is there a guy that like you know if Howie Roseman called Jeff Mosher right now and said Jeff, if I got to prioritize one of these guys to bring back, who is it? Um, you know, we did, we did feel that on the offensive side that DeAndre Swift, uh, we would like to see what he can do in Kellen Moore's offense. You saw what Tony Pollard was able to do a couple of years ago, as far as running the ball and catching the ball. Um, you know, Austin Eckler was hurt this past year, but he, you know, was able to get the ball when he was healthy. I just, I think that Kellen Moore's influence on this offense could, we could see, Really be how he should have been used, which is as a guy who doesn't run as much as he catches the ball, which is sort of he had he had an opposite career trajectory this last year, right? I mean, he set a career high in rushing yards, and there were a couple of games where he was like a bell cow carrying the ball 20, 25 times, which is not what you thought he was going to be here. You thought he was going to, you know, touch, you know, carry the ball, but in a backfield with Gainwell and Rashad Penny going into the year, and then be more of a weapon in a pass game. And he really had a, he had a career low in, in receiving yards. So if they can find a way to bring back DeAndre Swift at a workable number for him, we know that, you know, paying running backs uh, can be iffy for the Eagles, depending on who that running back is. But if he's back, I think he can be a more dynamic weapon and a better used weapon in the Eagles offense. He's Jeff Mosher. Follow him on the Twitter X platform at Jeff P. Mosher. Check out all of his coverage and the guys in the Inside the Birds group at InsideTheBirds.com. And tomorrow morning, Jeff and Andrew DiCecco will be doing the pod that drops tomorrow morning, Inside the Birds podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Jeff, appreciate you pinch hitting today for Adam. We'll talk soon. Have a good one. Good job pinch hitting for Mike. <laughs> I'm doing my best. You know that. Josh Hennig here on the Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN and Football at 4, as always, is being brought to you here on the Sports Bash by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. All right, still to come, more of your texts at 609-403-0973. I still have a ton of of you guys to get to asking questions about the Sixers. Plus, I'll give you some more of my thoughts on the Eagles coaching staff because there, there's one element that I've heard now, and I'm, I'm kind of tying a thread together from John McMullen to Jeff Mosher and including their Paul Gunther. So you got two different Eagles and NFL reporters and a former NFL coach, there was a common thread 
that all three men have said today that I can't let go. Like It's ringing in my ears right now. And if you don't know what that threat is, I'll tell you what it is next. There is a commonality of what they have all said today and what it means for the Eagles next season. I'm Josh Hennig, filling for Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN FM. Don't forget to download the 97.3 ESPN mobile app. It's free. Thanks to First Bank of Seattle City. It's for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Gil. And I am the voice of the voiceless. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Josh and here on 97.3 ESPN FM, the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. We'll get back to your text in just a bit. At 609-403-0973. A lot of questions still coming in about the Sixers and the Eagles and all kinds of stuff. But before I get that, I told you guys for the break. There is a direct thread between three different guests we had on today. And that direct thread is you heard John McMullen say in the 2 o'clock hour. If you've been listening for the full three hours, first of all, thank you for listening for a full three hours to me filling in for Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app, which is free thanks to First Bank of Seattle City. But John McMullen brought this topic up in hour number one. Paul Gunther, former NFL defense coordinator, brought this up in hour number two. Jeff Mosher, you just heard bring this up about 15 minutes ago here in hour number three of the show. And what they all had in common in this direct thread across the board is the importance of coaches who have experience. You heard Jeff bring up the fact that, you know, you're not bringing in people, for example, like Brian Johnson, who don't have a lot of play-calling experience. You're bringing a guy in Kellen Moore who's been a play-caller in a coordinator's league for five years. And he's bringing in with him a coach in Doug Nussmeyer, who has coached at the collegiate and professional level for almost 20 years. As Nussmeyer, actually, has been 20 years. Nussmeyer has been good, if you include his uh, time in the Canadian Football League. And on the Eagles' defense, you don't have a guy in Sean Desai who is a disciple of a discipline. He has his own system as Fangio. It's not, hey, this is like, you know, secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand, you know, recall of something. No, this is a direct source of a defense is Vic Fangio. And Vic Fangio has a lot of experience and you heard Paul Gunther talk about in 3 o'clock hour how important it is for these coaches that have shown a longer period of being able to make adjustments, being able to make the right calls situations. You know, he mentioned about how he said, you know, Paul Gunther, how impressive Steve Spagnola is that he has had 
this long amount of time as a coach in the league about how it's not normal for a guy like Steve Spagnola to keep having this level of success in the NFL as he has and how impressive it is for a guy like Andy Reid who keeps changing the window dressing and keeps throwing in new ideas. And it gets back to the two main themes for the Eagles. Because John McMullen said in the first hour how, you know, yeah, Nick Sirianni can say he wants fresh ideas, but Nick Sirianni also says it's my offense, it's our offense, it's the team who has, it's not Kellen Moore's offense, it's it's his offense, the team's offense. But you're having a system or an offense is useless without the experience and the knowledge of how to make that offense or that system execute and function properly. It is no small thing that the Eagles have gone heavy into the experience department for their coaches because it is a direct contrast from last year. Last year, the only coaches with real experience were coaches who didn't have a lot in common with the guys who were calling the plays. It's not like Alex Tanney and Brian Johnson, Alex Tanney, the quarterback coach, Brian Johnson, the offense coordinator, had a lot of common ground in terms of the of the offensive scheme, except for their direct experience working with Nick Sirianni. Sean Desai and Matt Patricia came from completely different defensive philosophies. Now, you have a coach that's not just experienced, but you're streamlining it. You know, I know Paul would never say this, you know, you know, directly to like insult anyone. But Paul Gunther, the reason why he got a head coaching, sorry, a defensive coordinator job in the NFL was because he showed over time working in Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati that he was able to elevate up the coaching ranks and be trusted and depended on to be a coordinator. Well, you look at a guy like Kellen Moore. Why is he bringing along Nussmeyer? He's bringing Nussmeyer because Nussmeyer has put in the time with Kellen Moore to show him that he can do this. Guy, a guy like Joe Casper, he's put in the time with Vic Fangio to get this coaching gig with him. So what do all these guys have in common? What is the common thread between all of these guys? The common thread between all of these guys, between all these coaches, between everyone you've heard from today, experience matters. Understanding how to do the job matters. It is a huge part of the bigger picture. When you are an NFL team and you have the capability, you have the proficiency the experience at making adjustments. 
And as you heard Paul Gunther say an hour ago here on 97.3 ESPN, Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill on a Tuesday afternoon. The coach that is able to make the adjustments and the team that is capable of putting themselves in a position to take advantage of the other team's weaknesses is going to be the team that wins the game. And so for the Eagles, it is a massive upgrade. Now, yes, Jeff Mosher has said, and so did John McMullen in the 2 o'clock hour, the players still have to go do their job. You still have to get the players to do the job and execute the schemes and the coaching. But guess what? Those players need the coaches to put them in position to be successful as well. All right, let's get back to the text at 609-403-0973. I still have a lot of text to catch up with from uh, the conversation with the Sixers earlier. Uh, Texture chimes in a little bit earlier. Uh, Reggie from Salem follows up and says, what about calling the Memphis Grizzlies about Marcus Smart or the Golden State Warriors about Clay Thompson? Obviously, there's tensions brewing in Golden State. Yeah, for those who didn't see, Clay Thompson didn't play the final four minutes of the game last night, and it was a bit of an awkward thing to watch. You know, watching a guy who helped an organization win championships basically be relegated to the bench. It was weird to watch. And, you know, if you're a team like Golden State, do you look at Clay Thompson, a guy who is in the final year of his contract, and say to him, you know what, Clay, maybe you'd be better off somewhere else. We can trade you and get something in return for you. We'd love to have you back next year. But if we can get some assets for you, we might just have to move you. Now, I don't know if Clay Thompson solves a lot of your problems for a couple reasons. One, because part of the reason why Clay Thompson is in a bad situation in Golden State is because he's not the Clay Thompson he used to be. So, you're not getting prime Clay Thompson. You're not even getting slightly past the mountain Clay Thompson. You're getting a guy who's going to be turning 34 years old, who is shooting his worst three point percentage of his NBA career. Now, it's still 37%. But it's the worst percentage of his career. And he's shooting two less threes per game than last year. Clay Thompson has not averaged less than 20 points per game in any season in 10 years. 2013-2014 season. Furthermore, Clay Thompson, he's not the same athlete he used to be. Okay, so his defense has taken a bit of a dip. And playing 30 minutes per game, there are only, and again, going to basketball reference, there are only two times in his career where he has played fewer minutes per game. The one year, he was coming back from an injury. 
another year, he was a rookie. So, the idea of Clay Thompson, Reggie, and Salem might be a better idea than actually acquiring Clay Thompson. Marcus Smart, I don't know what Memphis is doing. I like the idea of Marcus Smart, but like Keith Pompey said an hour ago here on 97.3, I think that's a guy that takes touches away from Tyrese Maxey. And I don't think that is a positive. Uh, Vernon in Mays Landing says, uh, Trey for Mikel Bridges, he plays defense, he can rebound and score, a great team player, very underrated. Well, Vernon in Mays Landing, the problem with your theory is you're saying that, like, like Philadelphia can get Mikel Bridges. You really think... You really think that the Nets are going to trade with you again and they're just going to give up Mikel Bridges? And for what exactly? I think that's very, very... I ran it through the NBA trade simulator. I play NBA 2K answer. That's not a real world answer. Mikel Bridges is under contract for two more years with the Nets. And unless you're willing to give up all your first round picks and Tobias Harris and take on money in return from uh, the Nets. And I have to double check who exactly on that team is even a tradable asset because Mikel Bridges makes almost half the money that Tobias Harris does. And Tobias Harris's value is purely because he's an expiring contract. <sighs> yeah, I don't think that's a doable deal. A for effort, though, Vernon and Maze Landing. Uh, <laughs> Anonymous Chexter asks, what's my... Uh, my Cody Rhodes or Rock versus Roman Reigns view for WrestleMania. I didn't know that I was the wrestling guy. I didn't know I evolved into that, but here I am for for that. Um, all right, really quick. So I told you guys the last time I filled up for Mike Gill that I expected Cody Rhodes and CJ Punk to show down, and the winner of that was probably going to develop an alliance with The Rock against Reigns. Well, you saw that on Raw, or was it SmackDown? I, I'm losing track of which shows which because I don't watch nothing live anymore <laughs> because of the way my life has been. Um, what do I, my, my view, my view is is that it's going to be um, The Rock versus Reigns at WrestleMania, and it's going to be Cody Rhodes going against Seth Rollins, and it's probably going to, Rhodes is probably going to win the title. This is probably going to be a big build-up moment. It's going to be an emotional thing because of who his dad, Dusty Rhodes, is. And there's going to be an alliance to the whole thing. You know, Rhodes and Rock because of their their family's history. You know, it's like the lineage versus the non-lineage guys, right? It, it's the, you know, the, the Rock and Cody Rhodes with the wrestling lineage. And Seth Rollins is the guy who wants to, says he's the man. But he doesn't have the pedigree of being the man. And, you know, it'll be some sort of like, you know, CM Punk won't wrestle at WrestleMania. But his arm will be well enough at WrestleMania for him to show up and probably be a distraction for Seth Rollins. And then, um, you know, it'll be like an enemy. My enemy is my friend deal. And then The Rock will go against Reigns and he'll he'll end the streak of Reigns. 
and then The Rock will have to bow out for some reason, and then the WWE will have some sort of like you know tournament of champions for the vacant belt that The Rock took from Reigns, kind of thing. There you go. I just wrote you the whole script. <laughs> Monday, Marcus, Danny, AC. I'll get to your guys' text in just a bit. 609-403-0973. And your DMs coming in in the 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill on Tuesday afternoon on the Sports Bash. We have the perfect for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Traffic. Come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. Josh, I think Mike Gill is Mike Gill traveled up Super Bowl Radio Row. Mike Gill will be out there the next three days. Yes, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, with all kinds of great live interviews from Super Bowl Radio Row. It'll all be here on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Hennig hanging out with you. Don't forget the Sports Bash being brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Don't forget Austin Krell, our Sixers insider from 973ESPN.com. He will join me coming up around 525 this evening. Back to the text board right now. And more of your guys' DMs coming in on the 973 ESPN mobile app. Monday Marcus chimes in. Says, What's up, Josh? Now that we know that about MB, what is the timetable for those injuries discussed with him having a daunting schedule? Yes, so far. Will they drop? I like the Drummond idea, but he isn't helping the scoring of three-point shooting, which seems to be getting torched. Monday Marcus. Yeah, you know, the, the Drummond edition... <sighs> All right, see, here's the thing. You know, you heard Pompey say that, you know, once some of these guys come back from their injuries, that that'll fix some of the defensive problems. But you're right. Drummond doesn't fix the the defense. He doesn't fix the scoring. He just stabilizes the big man position. You know, that's why, you know, I don't know what the right answer is. You know, I like the idea of Kelly Olynyk, but I'm not sure if I actually like Kelly Olynyk. right? I think that's where it gets into do you go get a Bogdanovich from Detroit? Do you are are you the kind of team that says I'll take Andre Drummond and DeMar DeRozan, you know? And as Pompey pointed out in the last hour, Monday Marcus, it's not as simple as just saying, Yes, I want to trade for that guy, or because if teams know you want these guys, if teams are aware that these are the guys you're pursuing then, you know, it's, um, <sighs> when, when, you, when teams know that you're pursuing somebody or that you have a need for a player or a position, they're more likely to try to price gouge you. Uh, Dan EHT says, 
Josh, what has Josh Harris and Daryl Morey ever done? This trade deadline is going nowhere. He says the difference between the Eagles and the Sixers is that Harris and Morey to Laurie and Roseman. Harris has been a horrible owner. Let's face it here. Simmons, Fultz, Butler, Harden all wanted out of Philly. Here's the thing, they didn't want out of Philly because of Josh Harris. They didn't want out of Philly because of Daryl Morey. You know, Simmons wanted out of Philly because, and this is a longer conversation for not for the next 20 seconds, because I got 20 seconds where I can go to break here. Simmons wanted out of Philly because there was a distinct difference in opinion. Butler wanted to be here. The Sixers didn't want him here. Harden wanted to go back to L.A. because he wanted to be a star. And Fultz, that's a that's a 30 for 30 documentary. Jersey. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Josh Eddie Filling for Mike Gill on a Tuesday edition of the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Final hour of the show. Thank you for being on board today. We've had a lot of things we've gone over throughout the show. Eagles coaching staff, Super Bowl 58 breakdown. State of the Sixers, less than 48 hours to the trade deadline with the Dwell, the Dwell and Bead news. Me, we're taking all your guys' texts throughout the show on all those topics. Keep them coming, 609-403-0973. Your DMs into 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. And in about 25 minutes from now, Sixers Insider from 973ESPN.com. Austin Krell will join us coming up in the show. I wanted to follow up on something that, you know, Dan and EHT, and Dan and EHT, for those who don't know, it is a loyal but habitual texture to the show. And what he brought to the table was, and I'm not saying it's a bad question. It is a valid question. But he brought up the idea of, you know, what on earth have Josh Harris and Daryl Morey done to make me think or anyone think the trade deadline is going to, you know, land us anything. And listen, I understand from a short-sighted point of view, from a fan's perspective, they may feel that way. But let's go through what the history is with this organization and with this team. Okay? Daryl Morey, when he first got here, got rid of the abomination that was the Al Horford contract. He unloaded Josh Richardson, who was practically useless for this team. And they got Danny Green. And they reshaped the roster, right? They brought in players that were going to retool this roster. Now, they had to use some of those pieces, like Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, for example, in order to then unload Ben Simmons, who nobody wanted to hear anyway, to get James Harden. And frankly, if it's not for James Harden, you don't win two of those three games against the Celtics last year. So what does that mean for Daryl Moore? Well, that means he has given you something. He has done something. Now, has every deal that he made been a win? Absolutely not. You know, 
that you can make the argument that the net Sixers trade was a win for Brooklyn in the long run, not for Philadelphia. But we got to find out what do the assets that you netted for James Harden, what are those going to turn into? That's what's going to decide everything long term. So now let's flip the coin. He mentioned Josh Harris. You know, Danny HT was saying that, you know, there's a huge difference between Josh Harris and Jeffrey Lurie. Well, there is a huge difference. Part of the difference is Jeffrey Lurie has now 30-year track record to work off of, and Josh Harris has a 10-year track record to work off of. Now, it wasn't until Jeffrey Lurie's 10th and 11th years as the Eagles' owner that they even got to the promised land. That big game called the Super Bowl this coming Sunday. But before that, you could say, well, Jeffrey Lurie got you a team that had multiple conference championship appearances. Okay. Ever since Josh Harris became owner, this team had hit a hard... First of all, the team tried to go big or go home. Remember, they were part of the Andrew Bynum trade. People forget the Sixers did try to go big. The Sixers went out and got, at the time, a guy who was believed to be the next star of the league. They got a guy who was 24 turning 25 who had won a couple championships with the Lakers, a guy who was averaging, at the time, 18 points a game, 11 rebounds a game, almost two blocks a game. They went out and got that guy. And then the injuries completely derailed him. So as soon as they went to the poker table, to use an Atlantic City idea, with that four-team deal that sent all those players in 20 different directions, right? Andre Iguodala goes to the Nuggets. Sixers trade trade picks and assets and players all over the place. I mean, remember, the Sixers had Nikola Vucevic, but they got rid of him because of Bynum. I mean, for goodness sake, we're talking about guys like Aaron Aflalo and Al Harrington were involved in this deal. You know how the Sixers got Dario Sarge? It was because of the Bynum Iguodala trade. Oh, and don't forget, uh, a big reason why that trade happened was because Roy Howard went to the Lakers. So, Josh Harris, and again, this is not a defense of Josh Harris. This is a recounting of history. They went for big. It didn't work out. And then they walked out the other side with the question, well, what do we do now? It didn't work. So, then what happens? Well, the next stage of what happens is they do the process. They hit the reset button. They get all the assets. They try to try to find the next star player. Nerlens Noel, Joel Embiid, Michael Carter-Williams, thanks for a cup of coffee and a rookie of the year. Jaleel Okafor, Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz. 
all those happened before Daryl Morey ever got here. And as I've said before, the Sam Hinkie process has an incomplete grade because the NBA interfered, got involved in something, and frankly made it more of a dumpster fire with Brian Colangelo. The Sixers should have never made the Fultz trade. It destroyed this team's ability to have flexibility moving forward. And then Colangelo tried to clean up his own mess. He got run out of town because of Burner Gate. And then you ended up with Brett Brown kind of running the team, then Elton Brand trading for Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris, and then Jimmy Butler running out of town, and then a couple of years later, Daryl Morey comes in. So the, the difference is that Laurie's gambles have been successful. Josh Harris has haven't. Look, when the Sixers drafted Ben Simmons, they drafted him with the idea that he was going to be Someone asked me the question a couple days ago that was it fair to compare Ben Simmons coming out of college to LeBron James? And I always said it was the stupidest comparison because they're both completely different types of ball players. They're completely different types of people, completely different mindsets. And I don't say that's 2020 vision. I was here. Back in 2016, 2017 on 97.3 ESPN. I remember those conversations. I remember even Mike Gill sitting here where I am right now filling in for him as he's on his way to Vegas for Radio Row on 97.3 ESPN. I remember him asking the question, would the Sixers be better off with Brandon Ingram instead of Ben Simmons? And people made fun of us for having those conversations. People treated us like we were idiots for asking that question. Mike Gill, a lot of people love Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz was doomed from the beginning because the Sixers gave up a lot of assets to get him. And as soon as he got injured, he had the pressure of the world on his shoulders And he was never going to rise from the ashes and become a better person, a better player again in Philadelphia. The environment and the culture was never going to happen. And Brian Colangelo is a huge part of the blame for that. Jimmy Butler wanted to be here. He wanted to play with Embiid. He wanted to be in Philadelphia. Philadelphia said... We are going to keep Brett Brown, and we're going to keep Ben Simmons, and we're going to send Jimmy Butler out of town. James Harden doesn't know what he wants from day to day, okay? James Harden is like that person who every time they walk past a store, every time they scroll through social media, they see something new that they want. And then they, instead of being appreciative for what they have, they obsess over what they don't have. So, James Harden wanted out of Philly because Philly no longer was the shiny new toy he got for Christmas. Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz were never going to work in Philadelphia because there was a pedestal these guys were put on. They were never ever, 
ever going to live up to or play up to. Philadelphia is in the position we are in right now because of Joel Embiid's injuries. If it wasn't for Joel Embiid's injuries and what has been built around him when he has been injured and not injured that has led to this. It's not Josh Harris. It's not Daryl Morey. It's the fact that Joel Embiid can not stay healthy. Back to the text board at 609-403-0973. David in Violin chimes in. What's up, David? Says, uh, sorry if you've already talked about this, about um if but there's anywhere in the area that's good to watch the Super Bowl. I've been looking at the 973 ESPN app and I haven't found anything. Uh last year. He said we did an all-you-can-eat at Chickies and Pete's, which we had a blast. My wife is a Niners fan, so I need to go somewhere good. Thanks, David and Violent. Well, David, um, <laughs> I could sit here for about two hours and give you recommendations on places to go. Um, it really depends on what you're looking for. If, you know, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, we... I could sit there and write an article for the website with a with about maybe 20 different places you can go watch the game at, but I don't know if half those places would even interest you because you just said Glassboro and Vineland. So that eliminates half of the places I could think of right there because it sounds like you want to stay in a certain part, a certain area. My recommendation, David and Violent, is if your wife's a Niners fan, if you and if you insist on going out somewhere to watch the game, you either need to go to a, a general sports place, okay, like a gallery bar booking games at Ocean Casino Resort, or you need to go, you know, somewhere that is not going to be a specific type of like, like, for example, there are some establishments down here that are very heavy Eagle fan-centric, right? And there are places that are not. I, I think that what you're looking for is a place that's not going to be heavy-centric. Personally, if I were you, David and Violin, it, uh, unless your home TV is trash, I would just order in and have a house party at your house and watch the game at home, personally. That's what I would do if I was in your situation and my wife was a Niners fan. Um, but you know what I'll do, David? I, I will work on an article for 973ESPN.com and I'll, I'll try to get it up before the end of the week. And I'm telling you though, half the places are going to be in Cape May and Atlantic County. They're not going to be in Cumberland. They're not going to be Gloucester. They're not going to be Salem County because at the end of the day, <laughs> you're, you're asking me a question and you're putting me in a position where you're asking me to endorse somebody on the radio. And they're not an advertiser. I'm not doing that. 
I'll tell you about the advertisers that we've, the great advertisers that we have, we do a great job. But, you know, look, Mike Gill of the Chickies and Beats for all of Eagle season, okay? Every Thursday was either in Atlantic City or EHT. You can't go wrong with that. The Gallery Barbuck Games at Ocean Casino Resort, can't go wrong with that either. But I'm wondering if your all-you-can-eat last year was in part because the Eagles were in the Super Bowl. Now the Eagles are not in the biggest game of the year. I'm sure some businesses are going to have some different options this year. So I will endeavor to write something for you, David and Violin, but... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be on, I'm not in a position to answer your question the way you want. <laughs> Sorry. Um, best of luck to you and your wife. I think tonight I have a 50-50 shot to win the game. <laughs> 609-403-0973. That, that, that was a, that was a, um, <laughs> that was a, a rabbit hole that I will never recover from. That was that was a bad job by me. No offense to you, David and Violin, but that that was not the direction we were going with this hour at all. Uh, someone texted in and says, "I understand that tanking happens, but Josh Harris and his organization actually um, should have been punished for their stupidity." Well, you can't punish a billionaire for making a mistake. If we were to punish every sports owner for being dumb or ignorant or making mistakes, no one would want to be a sports owner anymore because we'd punish them all. Sports would have these teams selling like hotcakes because every owner wants to get out because they get punished because they made the wrong draft pick or they made the wrong series of offseason decisions. That's silliness. You can't do that. <laughs> uh, Josh and Kate May, uh, this this is great. You got a spot in North Carolina? I can watch the game. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. You know, you know, it's a cool town in North Carolina. Chalute. Ever been to Chalute, North Carolina? It's about 30 minutes south of Wilmington. They got a massive golf course, one of the biggest Walmarts you'll ever see. Go check out Chalute, North Carolina. <laughs> my my aunt lives in Charlotte. You can you can go uh you can go visit my family while you're in North Carolina when you watch the game. <laughs> oh my goodness, Josh and Kate May. Josh Hennick here on 973 ESPN. Uh all right, coming up next, we'll try to get this uh, try to get this train back on the tracks here. Austin Crowler, Sixers Insider for 973ESPN.com. He will join me uh, coming up in about six, six minutes from now. Don't forget the Flyers are back in action tonight. You hear the game right here on 973ESPN. Don't forget, with the Flyers back in action, it's time to level up your game day ritual with the ultimate power duo, the Flyers and the Union Forge Vodka. Cheer on the Flyers with the best tasting vodka produced right here in Philadelphia's area. Grab a Union Forge bottle today 
vodka and flyers. You might need a little extra vodka because this is going to be in a rough extra couple of weeks here because we don't know what to say the flyers are. We're going to find out this is a playoff team or not very quickly. So you want to get your Union Forge vodka and be ready to celebrate the wins and drown out the losses with the Flyers back in action tonight at 7 p.m. here on 97.3 ESPN. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. There is nothing funnier at this job than seeing people all react to some, what somebody else said on the text board. <laughs> 609 403 We'll get to Austin Crowler Sixers inside in just a moment. But first of all, so, it, and this is not a, we're making fun of David and Violin, okay? But David and Violin was asking for a place to go to watch the Super Bowl. And now the entire text board has turned into everyone asking just bizarro world questions. So Josh Gabe asked where, where he can watch Super Bowl in North Carolina. And Josh Gabe followed up saying, I've already had three people asking me why I'm going to North Carolina this weekend. Uh, we have Luke in Atlantic City who texted in and asked me, is there a great Airbnb in Sao, uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil for the Eagles game in September? Any suggestions? To which I told Luke that he could, I need to ask Dominic Toretto for some recommendations for where to go in Brazil, <laughs> okay? And uh, even, so yeah, uh, that's just two examples. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I love it when you guys get in on the joke. I, I love it. It's Listen, if, if we can't make fun of ourselves, then wh- what are we doing, right? If we can't make fun of ourselves in a job like this, then what's the point? <laughs> Austin Crowler, Sixers Insider from 97.3 ESPN, as promised, is joining me here on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Austin, welcome in. I, I do not have any questions for uh, recommendations for places to go. How are you doing today? Doing well, Josh. How are you? I'm doing well. So uh, let's get down to the nitty gritty. You and I just talked last night on game night. So I wanted to bring you back because now we have more information than we did last night about Joel Embiid. So... For you, when you saw that Joel Embiid had surgery and they're going to reevaluate in four weeks, what does that say to you? It says, quite frankly, not all that much. Uh, you know, they're just saying he's going to be reevaluated in four weeks. Um, you know, like the thing about this is, you know, the 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 information out there was uh, this was either you know this was going to be a surgery where the likelihood of it being a stitch repair was very, very slim and that it was likely going to have to be the scope, which meant that it was going to be a shorter time frame. Uh, and then the other information out there was that like, it was that th- th- this scope was the 
right way per se of of doing this. So I'm not like surprised that they're saying it's a four week uh, update window, but that just means that they're going to provide provide an update on 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 a, on what how he's looking and for you know for how he's looking and feeling and progressing four weeks from now. It doesn't mean he's going to be back on the court ready to go. So I think they're still a ways away from really knowing. Uh, you know more, and they're not out of the woods yet with what you know with 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 this with this injury and this season. It just means that that, that Joel's surgery uh, appears to have gone well, and that uh, you know they will know more in four weeks or so. I'm glad you said that because I said earlier in the show, Austin, that he can get reevaluated for weeks, and he could be another two weeks away from playing or four weeks away from playing. So it's like it, it doesn't mean he's returning. Soon, it just means he's returning dot, 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 TBD. So, you know, with that in mind, my concern, Austin, is we saw the Sixers lose again last night. And to me, it's obvious between Saturday and last night, they just don't have the firepower. I don't know how this team is going to stay above water in the coming weeks when they got the Knicks multiple times, the Cavs multiple times, Boston, Milwaukee, it's not like they got a, a schedule full of, like, the Wizards. They play the Wizards once coming up. So it's like, you know, how is this team going to stay above water? Like, is it does it all come down to the trade deadline? So I think part of it is, like, you got to get Melton back. You got to get Batum back. Mm-hmm. Those guys are not all world, you know, Talents at this stage, they're not they're not the top end talent on the team, but they make things easier for your defense, and they make the the, the you know they're they're, con- they're the connective tissue on offense that makes everything a little bit easier. Whether it be uh, you know shooting, whether it be uh, you know making passes, they they both help in that regard. So getting that back is going to help a lot. I think if you can get those guys back for you know a month straight, six weeks straight this team is going to suddenly start to look a lot better and they're going to, you know, win games again. Just right now, it's like you're asking, you know, the 10th, 11th, 12th guys on your bench to contribute to winning on a nightly basis. And they just can't do that. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I mean, you can, you, you, you can get a lot of value out of your depth. Right. But if your depth like doesn't have the, the talent to mesh and create something that's bigger than the sum of its parts, then it doesn't really matter, you know, that you're just going to sink. Um, at least if they get their guys who are, you know, healthy and, and you know, relatively speaking, like those Batum, like like uh, like Melton, they can at least cobble together enough of, like, skill and enough defensive versatility to where they can get some stops and manufacture some offense. I do think that there are role players out there that could help them at the trade deadline. I think right now, like the biggest thing that you need to really uh, try to do as a team is like, how do, how do they ease the pressure on Tyrese Maxey and make his life a little bit easier? You know, they're going to do, they're going to do the things that Dallas did a lot last night and the Brooklyn did on Saturday. They're going to blitz and blitz and blitz the ball some more and try to force it out of Maxie's hands and into somebody else's hands. And the way that you counter that is say, okay, how do we get like a functional screener, like someone who can catch the ball and we can trust every play to make a three or to make the right pass out of, you know, out of, out of that screen. 
Um, does Kelly Olenek help open the driving lanes up a little bit for Maxi so that way they can't just so easily blitz without punishment? Um, you know, does is there is there like a is there like a dynamic enough you know passer out of the role out there who if we definitely uh, you know or if he makes that pass to that guy suddenly we're at a disadvantage where we have three guys in the middle of the, of the floor and a and a good passing big man there with four guys open around him. You know, so you got to help alleviate some of that pressure by adding a dynamic role player to this team somehow. Um, And that's what I think they have to aim to do in the coming days. So with all that being said, does a dynamic playmaker, does a big man to help the front court, do all, do all these pieces that they could get in less than, I mean, now we're what, 36 hours away from the deadline, right? So it's like, do are all of these pieces like tangible guys they can get or is a lot of this just kind of like, well, it would be nice. And the reason I ask Austin is because, you know, I got people texting in, Sixers should trade for Clay Thompson, you know, and it's like, they're not trading for Clay Thompson. Like, I don't see that happening. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, also, like it would be a very bad usage of your assets to get right, Clay Thompson. Right, exactly. ineffective at the stage of his career. Like, I know the guy texting, go get Mikel Bridges. Like, I don't see the Nets trading Mikel Bridges. Like, they're going to build around that guy, aren't they? So, like, like, give the audience tangible people here because, you know, we can sit here and say what they need, but who of what they need exists out there? I think like foundationally you just want a guy who can do a lot of the little things well like a guy that can I guess as 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 stupid as this is going to sound like you need somebody who is going to take and make shots like no duds basketball uh you need a guy who's going to you know f- see passes and make passes in tight spaces mm-hmm. uh and those are like little skills that you know they add up you know, there when 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 it's a guy who has all of them together as a star player, but guys who can do a little bit of of, of that stuff. You know, um, so like you know, just can can get like an Andre Drummond, not the most dynamic offensive player, but guess what he can do? He can dunk, he can catch lobs, and he can make passes. Uh, you know, and 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 that that means that you're going to have cutters moving around the floor. So someone who can unlock that element of your of your offense. Uh, is going to help. And I think also like we say that there are guys around the league who have those skills, but don't get to demonstrate or unlock them on their current teams because of, you know, for whatever reason, like Andre Drummond is not like that Bulls team is not very good. Right. Um, you know, the, uh, their offense hasn't been that great uh, for, for, for a c- couple of years now. So of course it makes sense that like, you know, some guys are going to be, some guys skills are going to not shine in the light, but like Andre Drummond can do some things for you. If you were to pursue that guy, uh, you know, uh, Olenek is not the sexiest name out there, but guess what? He can really shoot the ball well. And he's just a heady player. He, and you know, he does, he does a couple of different things. Like if you, if, if you can go out there and find guy find a couple of guys like Nick Batum, you're 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 going you're going to find a, a way to make this thing work while Joel's out. When you think about you mentioned Drummond in Chicago, Austin Kreller, Sixers Insider from 973ESP.com at NBA Krell on the Twitter X platform, joining me here on the Sports Bash, Josh Hennig playing from Mike Gill on 973ES. You mentioned Andre Drummond. Would it make sense to do one-stop shopping in Chicago and maybe walk, try to walk out of there with, let's say, Drummond and DeMar DeRozan, for example. 
if you're going to go for DeRozan, I think you're probably, you, you, I think it depends on like what Chicago is asking for in terms of picks because like Chicago, by all accounts, has demonstrated a desire to remain competitive and not just tear down. So, you know, you know, now that could be a slippery slope for me to say that now they might have a meeting tonight, tomorrow, whenever, and say like, like realistically, what are we for the next couple of years? And is that worth shelling out, you know, money to DeRozan? and paying him to be the top top dog on a team that's going to win 35 games like they might they might come to their senses you know in the next couple of days and be a seller um but if they're not if they're if they're still standing strong in their position that like we want to be competitive they're going to they're going to ask for you know real value or they're going to ask for uh you know intangible values in the form in the form of trade tra- tra- of uh, draft picks and then it becomes a battle of like how much do we really value DeRozan? Is it do we want to sacrifice first round picks for a rental? Uh, if we do give up picks, you know what kind of leverage would he have over us in trade talks? And that becomes do we want him back? You know, in, in the future, or is this going to be just you know the rest of the season? So, I, I don't think it's as simple as like plug talent in and see it work. I think it's like you know for the purposes of team building, what is the future here with this guy and the, and, and does that cost make it worth it? Um, you know, I think like a guy like Alex Caruso, who Chicago is said to value greatly, is a much better fit for any team because he because he, he he's willing he's a more willing role playing shooter. He takes some some more efficient shots than 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 DeRozan does, um, and he's just a defensive hound. Like he's going to get up in your face and 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 just dog you all night and to, and 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 be effective that way. Um, so you know. I think like DeRozan is a, is, is a name that's popular, uh, but it's kind of like the reverse Ewing theory, right? Where it's like Patrick Ewing gets traded by the Knicks and every, and the Knicks fans are all upset because the star player is going out the door. And that means, and, and inherently they're going to undervalue the, the, the return on that Patrick Ewing trade because Patrick Ewing is gone. Like the star player is leaving, right? So I think this is the reverse, reverse of that where you suddenly think, Okay, all's good again because you have Demar Derozan here. The, the star players coming in the door. That's not always how it works, and so uh, I would be cautious of Derozan for sure. I love how you said about how how do some of these picks work with these guys? Because you know it, it's I, I mentioned this earlier in the show, and it, it's been a it's been a complaint of mine for years, Austin. And um, it, I, I think it's fair to say that you're a little younger than me, so I'm not I'm not criticizing your age for this, but. <laughs> You're you're from the NBA 2K generation, right? You know, I, I'm I'm from the NBA Live generation, right? You know, it, you know, late '90s video games, but the, the concept is the same. No matter what era you're from, we all grew up making trades on the video games and rebuilding teams and and setting the AI to the most hard difficulty possible to make a deal. So it's like we have an entire like 20 plus years of people who all grew up saying, well, I can make the trade on NBA 2K for NBA Live or I can run the trade machine, so it works. But you're so right because just because you can acquire someone doesn't mean that that player is going to work. Like the Lakers last year were incredibly lucky that every guy that they hit on made an impact on that team down the stretch. Like it doesn't always work like that. And it's like people don't always understand that, yeah, you know, you like you've mentioned to me in the past about the Bogdanoviches, right? The one in Atlanta and one in Detroit. 
there, there's no guarantee that either of those guys are going to come to Philadelphia and make the impact you expect. You know, you could go out and get Laurie Market, and there's no guarantee he's going to get along with Maxie. I'm not saying Laurie Market is a bad guy, but I mean, there, there's no guarantees with this stuff. So it's not as simple as plug and play, plug and play. Because in basketball, if you guys don't get along, you are DOA in the postseason. Well, I think Markin's a different story because he his his best skills are predicated on fit, like he fits in basically anywhere you put him because he's a very good catch and shoot player at, at the at the four position. But his personality so, might be, you know, yeah. Well, I don't know anything about his personality. That's fair, right? Um, but like like the whole similar story is like the Tobias Harris trade that the Sixers made, and I'm and I'm a very big, um, you know, I'm I'm high on Tobias as a player. I think he's very good. Um, but you know, you, you gave up a lot of stuff to get him uh, your first round pick in Landry Shamit, who, uh, maybe he was second round pick in Landry Shamit, whatever, um, to, to, you know, as, 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 a, as a, as a budding rookie. And then you give up an, an unprotected pick, uh, via Miami, uh, to get Tobias. And then because you gave up a lot to get him, you kind of felt like you had some you had some equity in keeping him. Like you had like you had some obligation to pay him so that way he stayed here long term. And then the next four and a half, five years were spent lamenting the fact that you gave him that amount of money. So, you know, there there is there 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 it's a precautionary tale, just saying I'm gonna swing for the fences and bring in any, you know, a high level player and just thinking that it's just gonna work. By the way, Landon Shaman was a first-round pick. You should have second-guessed yourself, okay? Mm. I, I, I can only be such an expert, you know? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, before I let you go, I got to ask, how do you feel about the draft moving to two days? I like that better, honestly. I think, it's, I think, it's, I think it makes for better draft, draft prep. And I think it's easier to cover that way. Like, like I'll give you a story. When the Sixers, it was the year that they traded for Harden. And it was the, 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 there was draft night. They traded for DeAnthony Milton. Mm-hmm. And that was back when it was still two, uh, two, both rounds on one night. We weren't walking out of the building until like 1230 at night. And then Daryl didn't speak till like 1, 130 in the morning. And then he, <laughs> oh and, and then because the trade wasn't finalized, he couldn't actually speak about the player to be mentioned later in DeAnthony Milton. So it was all like, yeah, we can't really say much yet, but I'm here to speak. And that isn't like me knocking the organization or knocking Daryl. That's just me explaining like why he couldn't say much. So it was like you're there till two in the morning for basically nothing. And then like, you know, there's and then we ended up not even being able to actually speak about the Anthony to the team until like training camp or until media day that year. So it was like you're, you're out till all hours of the night in, camp, in the, at the Camden complex for basically nothing. Um, so, you know, I, I do like it for everybody that the draft is two nights. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to help teams sort of evaluate their second round picks more. And maybe you'll, we'll see a premium on second round picks in the future in terms of just how, how they're valued. But it's going to be interesting for sure. The part I think is interesting is the fact that you're going to have uh, night one of the draft in one location and night two in a different location. They, you know, basically, the league is saying the first round is going to be this whole glitz and glare, but round two is just going to be at the Secaucus Studios at ESPN. It's like, wow, like talk about like a huge change of venue. It'll, it'll it, you know, what it's going to look like it's going to look like. Um, remember when they had the draft during COVID, and it was like. 
you know, like people were like in like their basements and stuff, like, you know, chiming in from my basement, you know, here's analysis from Jay Billis. Yeah. And oh, by the way, that was the draft that saved the Sixers franchise because they got Tyrese that draft right. and he might and he, he might not have fallen as far as he did. So that ended yes. up being the that might, that might, it ended up being the one that might have saved the whole thing. Um, but but I mean, it, it's funny either way, like it's a kind of a slap in the face, the second round picks, because like if you remember during the draft when end of first round, it's Mark Tatum coming up. So it's like, OK, you get the deputy, right. you get the deputy commissioner, not the actual like head commissioner. And then this time it's gonna be like, well, you don't get to be at the big stage. You get to be at the, the smaller stage. <laughs> well, it's just it's just more of a chip on their shoulder. I mean, Draymond Green, Nikola Jokic, just two examples of, you know, great players drafted in the second round. You know, you and I, maybe it's an opportunity to put more of a spotlight in the second round. You know, instead of it being at 11 o'clock at night when no one's paying attention, you know, maybe these guys get mentioned at 8 o'clock at night instead. Yeah. I, 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 I think that in general, the, the second round should be valued more because you can find a lot of good value. In the second. I, I, I think like some of the best teams in the league in recent years have found so much of their depth in the second round or in in undrafted free agency. So I think if the more that you can place value on that, the better it is for every team. All right, Austin Crowell, Sixers Insider for 973ESB.com, at NBA Crowell on the Twitter X platform. He joined us here on the Sports Bash. Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill on 973ESBN. Austin, great stuff today. Uh, go, uh, go get some rest for the next Sixers thing blows off, you know, and you have to lose your mind, okay? I will. Thanks, Josh. Josh Hennick here filling in for Mike Gill, wrapping up the show. Coming up to the other side, 609-403-0973. That's text board. Your DMs into 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. By the way, um, Jack in Cape May Courthouse says, I was one of the people who texted Josh from Cape May why he was going to North Carolina for the weekend. <laughs> Uh, it's it's the it's the gift that keeps on giving. You 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 guys are some of the best people. You guys who listen to this station, I appreciate all of you who listen to nine seven three ESPN. It's without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants—they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, wrapping up the show here on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Eddick hanging out with you. Uh, Jeff from Ocean City chimes in and says, what are the Flyers' chances to win tonight? Does Edmonton hit seven straight wins in Vegas? Well, Jeff, I'm glad you asked because the Flyers are back. And, of course, our Flyers coverage here on 97.3 is being brought to you by Union Forge Vodka. Hey, Flyer fans, time to level up your game day ritual with the ultimate power duo, the Flyers and Union Forge Vodka. Join the Flyers with the best-tasting vodka produced right here in the Philadelphia area. Grab a Union Forge bottle today, Jeff in Ocean City. Owen Tippett is back. He is back in the lineup tonight for the Flyers. So... 
Some good news right there for the Fly guys. I think they, if Owen Tippett plays, they have a chance to win. They need that firepower uh, in, in a game like tonight against the Panthers. By the way, a little of the Flyers news came out earlier today. Um, the Flyers, the Flyers are one of three teams that will be receiving cap relief because of the players who have been criminally charged in the connection to the 2018 World Junior uh, sex uh, sex assault scandal. So, um, a- according to uh, Darren Drager of TSN, he is reporting that the Flyers, the Devils, and the Flames have all been informed they will be receiving cap relief. Why is that interesting news for the Flyers? Because that means they have more salary cap flexibility to make a trade before the deadline. NHL deadline is about a month away, but it's something to keep an eye on. I think the Flyers can win against the Panthers. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but here's the problem with the Oilers in Vegas. Vegas is one of the best home teams in all the NHL. So if you're one of the best home teams in the NHL and the Oilers come to town, the Oilers just have to get cold for like a quarter and they lose the game. I'm not touching the Oilers... Vegas game with a 10-foot pole. Flyers winning tonight? I can see that happen. All right, thanks to a busy day today. Austin Krell, Jeff Mosher, Keith Pompey, Paul Gunther, John McMullen. Thank you all for texting the show. I'm Josh Henning. Mike Gill will be back tomorrow live from Las Vegas here on 97.3 ESPN. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.